1: what a day, Saturday, January 9, 2021. And if my voice sounds different, I'm honestly full of trepidation. So I'd like, if I could, to start this show with a prayer that is two words, Shabbat, Shalom. Hello, goodbye. And of course, Shalom also means peace, peace, We need peace right now, and we need wise men to make it happen, and may we have a miracle. We need a miracle. I love that song by, what is it, Mike and the Mechanics. All we need is a miracle, and maybe it's come true. I've watched, I've listened. Did you hear that phone call to Brad Raffensperger? God bless that Republican standing up to Trump. May all the Republicans have that kind of courage right now, right now, when we need it most. I have written for the Colorado Sun long ago about a scarface like ending. We don't need that. We have the legal tools. If the right people will speak up, please speak up. I've got all the right people speaking up. This week, where our United States Capitol got attacked, I thought, who should I have on? I want friends of the show. Somebody who knows what it's like to be a legislator. Somebody who knows what it's like to be a lawyer because lawyers have special responsibility. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, my God, what did you do? So here's the amazing lineup for today. Joe Salazar, batting cleanup. Joe doesn't swing for anything but the fences. Steve Woodrow, serving in the legislature right now in the three-hole Hitting second, a non-lawyer, a Colorado media maven, Corey Hutchins, from the Colorado College. We talk about Kyle Clark. We talk about Wayne Loggison. We talk about media responsibility. Boy, I have thoughts on that. But first up is an incredible leadoff hitter, Terrence Carroll, former Speaker of the House, state of Colorado. Enjoy.
2: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
1: Terrence, I'm doing well. Happy New Year, or at least I hope it gets better.
3: Yeah, hopefully we don't keep on this 2020 pace going into 2021.
1: Although, how about Osop and Warnock?
3: You know, that was brilliant. When they first started their races, no one gave them a chance in hell. And lo and behold, they owe it all to Stacey Abrams, I think.
1: I think so. And Donald Trump, he didn't hurt. It's crazy. Let me properly introduce you to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. How many podcasts and radio shows have you been on in the last couple of months?
3: Uh, You know, I've mostly been doing, you know, panel discussions. I think you have the distinction of being the only podcast that I um, participate in.
1: I just have to tell you, I think that is stupid on the part of radio hosts, because you are a first-round draft choice. I mean, not just in the first round, but the first pick. And here's why. Did you ever play baseball? Was that a sport of yours that you liked or played?
3: I tried t-ball, and I realized quickly that that was not my thing.
1: Anyway, a guy like Willie Mays was a five-way player. So was Roberto Clemente which means you can run, you can throw, you can field, you can hit for average, and you can hit with power. I think I'm cheating you if I say you are a five-way player, because look what you bring to the discussion of this week's current events. One, you were a longtime legislator at a time when the legislature of America just got attacked. You are not just any legislator, you were Speaker of the House, first African-American Speaker of the House in Colorado history, and you did a great job at it. Three, you're a certified law enforcement officer, you're a cop, you know how to handle crowds, and boy, is that in the news. Four, just like Raphael Warnock, I believe you're a clergyman, are you not?
3: I am. And we were actually um took classes together at Morehouse. He was class of ninety-one and I was the class of ninety-two.
1: And this is my point. Then the fifth tool you bring to what is going to involve constitutional and legal questions. You are my brother in the law. Welcome back to the lounge. But here's number six. This is all unfolding in your hometown, Washington, DC. So you're a six-way player. And I'm just saying that this shows how messed up broadcasting is in this world, because you should be one on CNN, but certainly anybody who wants to get enlightened should talk to Terrence Carroll. How's that for an introduction? You are a six-way star, and I bet I'm leaving some stuff out.
3: I think I need to hire you as my publicist.
1: I, I could do that, honestly.
3: Or if there's anyone listening who's a publicist who wants to be my publicist. No, I'll do
1: it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll send you a fee agreement right afterwards. Anyway, <laughs> I can't believe what happened at the U.S. Capitol. I love that building. I love the Colorado State Capitol. You've worked in the Colorado State Capitol, but I bet you've spent some time in the U.S. Capitol, too. What are your thoughts on this mind-blowing week in American history?
3: First, I think I used up all my Tension Tamer hot tea over the last, um, since January 6th or so. Who makes Tension
1: Tamer? Is that Celestial Seasonings?
3: That's Celestial Seasonings.
1: Out of Colorado.
3: Out of Colorado. So I used up my entire supply this week alone. That normally would last me a month. I think I used up my entire supply that I haven't refilled yet. So now I'm down to drinking chamomile tea, which is just as calming. Secondly, you know, I have great memories of the U.S. Capitol. I've been on several tours at the U.S. Capitol when I was a kid, when I grew up growing up in Southeast D.C., when I initially grew up in the part of Southeast D.C. that's now super gentrified right near the Capitol and Capitol Hill. My friends and I would take great joy, this is before the Capitol became our somewhat hardened complex. And I say somewhat hardened because clearly it's not after what we saw on the 6th. We used to ride bicycles down the steps of the Capitol and do that all day. And that would be so much fun, riding our bikes down the Capitol steps and then taking tours. And And I remember that I got an award when I was in high school for being ROTC Cadet of the Year on the steps of the Capitol. So for me, it's a very personal Place. And it's also the seat of our democracy. It's a sacred space in democracy. And it was defiled. And that's something that has me enraged. If you had talked to me two days ago, I probably would be screaming on the phone. But, you know, I am I'm much calmer today. And then, you know, the fact that we had a sitting president, members of his family, his lawyer incite this mob is terribly disturbing, beyond disturbing, seditious, is treasonous. And we have to question what the heck was going on with the US Capitol Police. Complete and utter security failure.
1: You are a cop. So tell us what about I'm going to qualify you as an expert witness. Why do you conclude that something really wrong happened with the Capitol Police?
3: Well, if you look at any of the videos that were shot, both by the protesters and the media and other onlookers, you had significant checkpoints, both at the outer, somewhat outer perimeter and more inner perimeter, I and mean, then even inside the Capitol, where you had thousands of protesters up against the most, you know, I mean, those barricades that they were against were the minimum that you could do. And you had, in some instances, it looked like there were only two officers until they got some more help trying to hold up a barrier from a crowd that was surging. And then they were forced to retreat back to a different defensive perimeter. And anyone that's ever been in the military or ever done riot control or mobile field force type of stuff in the law enforcement, you know, sometimes you just have to give up a perimeter. But that shouldn't have been the case. And we've all seen videos from other protests that have happened at the Capitol where there was a much more robust security presence at the perimeter that dissuaded Folks, And they had different type of barriers in other situations. And then if you look inside, I remember this one African-American officer who was holding off, trying to hold off a a mob. The guy who was retreating
1: up the stairs? Yes. Right. He
3: had to keep retreating up the stairs until he got to a point where he had, you know, another five or six officers showed up. I mean, this is the US Capitol on a day when we knew it would be contentious, on a day when there had been intelligence. And in fact, the Trump mob had told folks who were coming on January 6th, Trump had made a call for them to come out on January 6th, and they answered. And and you're not prepared for this? I mean, there's something rotten in Denmark.
1: I agree. I thought about you because the speaker's office was invaded some dirt ball they just arrested from Arkansas. He was putting his feet up on her desk. It was awful. And a number of those offices got ransacked. You were the Speaker of the House. You had the nicest office, short of the governor, in the building, right? And it had to go through your head. Is that when you doubled up on the T?
3: yeah that, that actually it, it did go through my head a little bit and i'll have to say the colorado state patrol provides protection at the colorado state capitol does an exceptional job and in fact you know i was in the capitol on several occasions where we had large protests outside on the circle of the capitol and anybody's familiar with the capitol circle there were several large protests out there I mean, groups that were, you know, loud and proud. I never felt unsafe in my office. During Tea Party protests, during other large rallies, I never felt unsafe in my office. And the state patrol never allowed an environment to be created where folks felt that they could reach the security of the Capitol and make their way to the speaker's office or the governor's office and for ill will.
1: Right. You felt safe. And I bet most of the legislators in the U.S. Capitol felt that way and would have praised the Capitol police the way you're praising the Colorado State Capitol law enforcement. So what do you think is going on? Was some guy at the top in the tank We know, and we've talked about it, and it's one of the saddest things about Trumpism, and there are a lot of sad things. It's the way that Trump has dug his hooks into law enforcement and pitted law enforcement on his side, and that defund the police didn't help. So there are a lot of cops who voted for Donald Trump, and is that what's going on here, Terrence?
3: I am going to give this the most generous interpretation that I can in that I believe that this was a failure of leadership at the US Capitol Police. From what I saw, the majority of the members of the US Capitol Police tried in a desperate effort to stave off this group of insurrectionists. But I also saw videos of US Capitol Police where they appear to be waving protesters through, And in some officers actually taking selfies with, I'm not going to call them protesters. That word slipped out accidentally. Taking selfies with these insurrectionists. I
1: thought you were going all Tucker Carlson on me. Anyway, keep going.
3: No, no, these insurrectionists. And you know what the, the end result of all this was? That these people don't really respect the rule of law. They really don't back the blue. Ask them how they how they murdered Officer Sicknick during the riots.
1: Let's talk about that. Yeah.
3: Bloodgame to death by a fire extinguisher. Oh. These folks do not care about law and order. Oh. Trump does not care about law and order or police officers. There is simply a commodity to be used for him to exert political power and influence. He only cares about law enforcement. And a lot of these people only care about law enforcement to the extent that they protect their white supremacist ideals and protect their ability to suppress the marginalized in society.
4: Oh,
1: may that officer's memory be for a blessing and for an epiphany. I have to believe a lot of police officers witnessed the assault on the cops have now sized up some of these characters. Beautiful thing about criminals and gang members, they put tattoos on, which identify them as proud boys or white supremacists. And we have facial recognition technology. And we need to go after all of these people. But you're the first to inform me about the fire extinguisher used as a murder weapon what would it take, a guy killing a cop with the Trump sign? I mean, how can that be dismissed? Maybe this tragedy and this loss of life, five people dead so far, maybe it's the moment, it's the Wizard of Oz moment where the curtain comes back and people on DPD and Capitol Police realize that this guy's no friend of cops, he's no friend of the American people.
3: No, cops are simply a backdrop, stage props for him. Just like his alleged admiration for the military. It's all a stage prop.
1: I know that. You know that. But do the police all know that? You work with the cops. Do they know that?
3: I will say for the people that I serve with personally, I believe they all were truly aghast. And I, in fact, you know, I was on duty last Thursday night. Everyone to a man was thoroughly aghast. At what happened on Wednesday at the U.S. Capitol. I have no evidence that the people I serve with are white supremacists or support the type of ideology and agenda that the folks who invaded the Capitol share.
1: Right, but speaking of invasions, this woman who fits profile of somebody who would become a cop, a military veteran, fit, energetic, She fell in for this QAnon stuff that is invading people's brains, also encouraged by Donald Trump, who says, hey, I hear they like me. Yeah, they think you're a religious figure. They think that you're here to stop pedophiles, and John Roberts is with Epstein, and you're the guy who's going to stop him. That's where your expertise on religion, because it's beyond me, Terrence. What is it? What's going on here?
3: I mean, there's a spiritual component to this, and there's a psychological component to this to a large degree. We live in desperate times. I mean, people feel like we're in a desperate place. And, and I saw this when Obama got elected, and people didn't listen to me then, and hopefully they listen to me now. You know, this country is rapidly changing from being a majority white or country to being a majority people of color organized country. Our kids are looking at life differently. They're one of the most diverse generations and they have some of the most diverse group of friends and diverse outlook on life. And there's a certain, there's a group of people and just think about the use of the word MAGA, make America great again. The notion behind that was that we're going to go back to a time that was better for us. And at the time when Trump was running for office, I asked people, what are you talking about? What was a better time? And some of these folks, it was back in the 50s, and we had Opie and Andy and all this other stuff. No, it wasn't good for the rest of us. My mother was living in the segregated parts of Maryland, and Maryland was supposed to be a freed state. I mean, it was a union state, apparently. You know, we had Black folks who were still suffering under Jim Crow. Brown folks in Texas were suffering under a form of Jim Crow directed at Mexican folks living in Texas. So they were looking at a time where it was white Anglo-Saxon Protestant dominance of a certain type and the type that dr king fought against in the civil rights movement the same folks who enacted slave laws that prohibited slaves from reading the bible or getting educated that's what they were looking for if we want to be completely honest And Trump spoke to this very visceral thing that the last vestiges of the lost cause, that somehow the principles of the Confederacy were still important, and it was a lost cause, and that is a cause that needs to continue to be fought for. And so he played into those deep grievances that somehow white folks were having something taken away from them on one hand. And then on the other hand, you know, he played he played into and spoke the language of this group of so-called evangelicals and may we note that in the civil rights movement, Dr. King spoke directly to them in a letter from a Birmingham jail and called them out and also these self-same evangelicals when the court ordered that schools be desegregated, these self-same self-described evangelicals actually put their kids and private schools and started our first massive wave of private Christian schools in this country. So this was not just something that happened with Donald Trump all of a sudden. Right.
1: Let's talk about Christianity, because that's where I need your expertise. I've heard about Gnosticism. Some people regard, they discern. Wood's always talking about discernment discern is a christian term isn't it
3: where someone who needs to be disbarred lynn wood
1: well i know we'll get back to him yeah my god we're gonna get to the legal part let's stay on the religion although lynn wood changed when he said he found jesus three and a half years ago and let's come back to lynn wood but i I want to get at how there are a lot of christians let's face it those people walking into the capitol will they were Christian, and I'm sure there might have been some Jews there. There were some blacks there.
3: I saw a black dude there. I wonder who that dude was. He clearly is not going to get invited to many like family barbecues anymore.
1: Right, but you've seen that in Colorado. We all have our embarrassments. My God, Stephen Miller is going to go down with the ship with Trump, and he may be behind a lot of this. And so we we all have that burden to bear, right? Although maybe Ben Carson. It would be nice for him to speak up right about now. And he's a religious guy. But back to religion and what's the appeal? I don't think it's all about race with respect, Terrence. I think that's a big part of it. And I've come to realize that really for decade upon decade, people are trying to keep black people and brown people from voting. They get to vote if they're a citizen of America. And it would be good if everybody got it organized in a way like our credit cards or like sports wagering. I had Alec Garnett on, and that's a beautiful system. It keeps track of things. It's accurate. You know what I mean? Voting should be simple, and we should get the result right away. But back to religion, because people don't trust voting. We're going through a pandemic, so that adds to everything. People have lost their jobs, so they're turning to whatever they can find And have you noticed that all the Trumpers, all the people who are constitutional authority and anti-maskers and religious authorities, they're the ones who have come to the conclusion that this is it. Donald Trump is the gospel. He's the one. And they're following him like a deity.
3: There's a few things in terms of this. and I'll start with the book of Exodus, a part of the Bible that both us as Christians and Jews both agree on. And in Exodus chapter 32. It's
1: not that we don't agree on the New Testament. It's just we haven't read it. Okay, because we're still trying to get through the first book. At least I am. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, I like the book of Exodus. You know, it's, a, it's one of my favorite books for some odd reason, as well as Bob Marley's song, Exodus. But I think in Exodus chapter 32, it's the entire story of Moses going to the top of the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Sinai. It's Mount Sinai. And he's up there for several days. While he's away, he leaves Aaron in charge. And because Moses is gone for so long in their minds, although it's not an exceptionally long period of time, Aaron and some of the other leaders, you know, they get a little anxious about stuff, and they lose their faith, and, and they lose their direction, and they think that they, like the Egyptians, they need to have a visible God that they can hold on to, something that, you know, makes them feel good about themselves. Because my God can be held in my hand. And when Moses comes back down, in fact, God tells Moses, you need to get back down there because those fools are acting out. They've decided to create a golden calf, an idol to worship. And that's the same thing that's happened to modern Christianity. In order for folks to, to really feel like they're worshiping somebody or worshiping a god, they've created their own idol that they can hold and touch and feel. And Donald Trump is that idol that they've touched, that they can create it, that they can hold and feel. And it's been coming for a while. We saw it with you know, the birth of the modern evangelical movement of Jerry Falwell was a political movement more than a spiritual movement. They called themselves the silent majority. And Ronald Reagan was the first you know president that they hung on to in this way. Against the president, may I say, against the sitting president, Jimmy Carter, who was a member of the Southern Baptist Church, who still taught Sunday school almost every Sunday that he was in the presidency. And they latched on to a candidate in Ronald Reagan who showed no inclination towards Christian faith. He just gave lip service to it. Again, it happens with Donald Trump, and it goes to show that this idol worship that they created is not really about their faith. It's really about being able to control their own God, being able to control who they worship, and it's not even worship for worship's sake. It's about worship to reinforce their view of the world, And then if you go to the book of Revelation, I just actually preached about this a couple weeks ago.
1: Can I just stop you? Because I want to hear revelations. But I want to say this was brilliant. And I do know that story. And Donald Trump, gold. Remember the gold escalator? He has gold Came down the gold escalator. Yep. Everything. He wants to show gold. He's like Goldfinger. Where is James Bond? And Sean Connery is dead. Go on to the book of Revelations, because really, I think that must be a big part of this, and I've never gotten to that part of your Bible.
3: And in the book of Revelation, and I'm always careful to say Revelation, not Revelations, because it's actually Revelation, but that's just me being a theological nerd. So John, the writer of Revelation, who's different than John, who was a disciple of Christ and an apostle of Christ, but John, the writer of Revelation, wrote these seven letters to these seven churches in Asia Minor, and I'm not trying to get into a Sunday school class, but I'm just trying to provide context for it. Uh, he wrote to the seven church in Asia Minor, which is now pretty much modern-day Turkey. The first letter was to the Church of Ephesus, and he says to them, oh, you're great people. I admire your dedication and your fortitude and your commitment to your religion, but he says to them, you lost your first love, You've lost the love that you had at first for Christ. And what he says to them is that, going on a little bit, he says, you don't really show any love. You don't really show any compassion. You don't really show passion at all for faith. You're just all about trying to decide who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. And we see the same thing today. It's the flip side of the modern evangelical movement, and, and I use evangelical loosely, I'm evangelical, but I'll get back to that definition later of what an actual evangelical is. But he says to this church, you know, you're spending way too much time on these novelties, for lack of a better word, and you're not showing any grace, you're not showing any mercy. People wouldn't even know Christ's love if they looked at you. And he says, you're just too caught up in these things. But the other part of what he talks about in the book of Revelation is that, look around you, all these other people who purported to be Christians— Have actually fallen into the cult of the emperor. And at the time, the emperor of Rome created a cult which invaded all of government, which invaded every part of culture, science, art, technology, because that emperor wanted all to be about himself. And so many people who called themselves Christians fell in line with this official state religion. And in some ways, we've come to the same place when it comes to religion or Christianity. I don't want to say all religion, but for my faith, too many people of my faith have fallen into this imperial cult worship. And at the end of the day, you know, John says, you know, all this stuff causes you to lose your lampstand, which is another way of saying the Holy Spirit has departed from you.
1: How do you believe in this book of Revelation?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in the words of the book of Revelation. I may interpret it differently. Than some people, because I think most folks I hate to say this, but they read it too literally. Because one of the things you have to remember about the Book of Revelation is that it's in line with traditional and ancient apocryphal writings, which means it's written in signs and symbols and emblems and things like that that are known to the people at the time. They would have known what all this meant, and so for us to really understand it, we have to put ourselves in the minds of ancient folks who lived in that part of the world during those times, which means we have to suspend our own understanding of the way the world is now and really do our best to insert our feet into the shoes of John and the worshipers of those other seven churches in Asia Minor that he wrote the book of Revelation to.
1: Interesting. This whole golden calf story, the people wanted comfort, which people want right now in a pandemic. And you could not help but notice that during this invasion of the Capitol, there were a lot of Christian signs, a lot of references to Jesus. Did you see it? How did you feel about it?
3: Yeah, I, I saw it and I, and I was disgusted. I hate when people use my Jesus as a political tool. And the truth of the matter is, even though I may be more left of center than many of those folks who were carrying the Christian flags. I also firmly believe that Christianity is a prophetic, truth-telling faith and that it should not be tied to the hip to any political party, to any state whatsoever. It should mean that I me mean, I'm a Baptist. And you know, and the Baptists broke away from the Catholic Church and, and from Lutheranism and so but mostly the Catholic Church over this whole idea that religion should be state run and that because you live in a particular country you should have a particular religion. And so Baptists were the first folks to come up with this idea of the separation of church and state. In fact Martin Luther didn't even do that with the 95 thesis on the Wittenberg church door. In fact he tried to make Lutheranism a state religion and it did in many places but baptists came along and said hey no you know this is all about an individual relationship with christ and this should not be tied to any state this should not be tied to any political creed or any political ideology this is about your relationship with christ and that's why in our founding documents we have this notion of the separation of church and state because of the baptists who were involved in the writing Uh, of the nation's constitution in the first 10 amendments.
1: Rabbi, you've got me thinking. And, you know, it was my religion, the oldest religion, which did not discriminate against Christians or Muslims because there were no Christians or Muslims when Judaism came about. But Abraham came up with a lot of things. And then the people who expanded on it, Moses, Sinai, we came up with the concept of a Messiah, right? The Mashiach who had come when times were really troubled. And then Christians said the Mashiach is here in Jesus Christ. And you give your soul to him or you confess or you believe in him. I'm paraphrasing. They didn't teach me this in Hebrew school, but it's a little like it's tough times. So lean on Jesus or lean on the golden calf and that Right now, people are saying, I'm going to lean on Donald Trump because he's an agent of Jesus, an agent of God. He's the chosen one. It's like that. And so what do you do with all that?
3: One, no matter how hard it is, I still have to show these folks grace and mercy and still hope that and pray that the veil be removed from their eyes and that they rediscover what hope is.
1: Can I get extra credit if I say that's Saul? Weren't the scales ripped from Saul's eyes?
3: Yeah, in the road to Damascus. Saul of Tarsus, who then became Paul, who was the, one of the greatest persecutors of Christians, was knocked off his donkey. And he was blind for a while. And when he when it when he regained his sight, he understood.
1: That's what I'm hoping for. All week my wife says, Why do you watch him give that Georgian speech? I watched his speech at the ellipse. It's because I know the guy's going nuts. I'm hoping he's going to go over the top in a way that doesn't kill us all. I thought it was that Georgia call. I thought for sure the events of this week. And I'm hoping that this causes the scales to fall from his supporters' eyes. Is it possible?
3: It's possible. We're seeing definitely seeing it in Republican leadership, although you've got folks like Matt Gates and Mo Brooks and a few others. It's definitely fallen from the eyes of Lindsey Graham, finally. He almost sounds like old Lindsey, but he still doesn't get a pass for his role in enabling all this. But, you know, you've got Matt Getz, the night of. This after all this happened, still gets up and lies through his teeth and says, This was Antifa. And a senior FBI official has been asked, I mean, and I wish I had his name right in front of me, he says, Could this have been, you know, people faking being Trump supporters like Tifa? He says, We have no evidence of that right now.
1: Right. And he said, I saw it in the Washington Times. It was that guy with the horns on his head who's a QAnon guy, and I think yeah. the shaman of QAnon. And, yeah, he'd been on some Antifa identifying him as the weirdo white supremacist that he is. So, come on.
3: It's like the Colorado Springs Gazette coming out in the editorial board. Was it yesterday or today saying, we think these were Antifa. I'm like, really, Gazette, You're supposed to be a news organization.
1: It is outrageous. But the beauty, back to your cop work, won't they be able to identify just about everybody who is there?
3: They already have started doing that, and there have been several arrests made already today. The one guy kicked his feet up in Nancy Pelosi's office was arrested today.
1: White supremacist from Arkansas.
3: From Arkansas. A West Virginia lawmaker was arrested who videoed himself being part of the group of people forcing their way into the Capitol. He's a state rep from West Virginia. He was arrested today. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more people arrested by the FBI and the Justice Department in the days and weeks ahead. Because, you know, these folks, they were so privileged and so felt so legitimate and felt like, you know, the police were on their side to such a degree that they got on social media, TikTok, Facebook, Facebook. Twitter, you name it, Instagram and recorded themselves live saying, we're invading, we're taking back the people's house, blah, 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 blah. And their sense of entitlement blinded them to this fact that they were breaking the law.
1: You know, we've all been blinded occasionally. But if this doesn't cause people to have the scales fall from their eyes, the death of Officer Sicknick, I mean, police death is different. This guy went to work. We'll find out about his family, his upbringing, but he didn't get to go home. And you're telling me he got hit by a fire extinguisher. And I bet there's video of it. At a certain point, if people are still on the side of that kind of stuff, what do we do, Terrence? How do we interact with people? You caught my eye with your declaration on Facebook that you were done with certain people at this point. Tell everybody about it.
3: So basically, I said, on, I, mean, I, "I mean, you you know how I am on Facebook, Craig. I leave my Facebook page, Twitter, whatever. Both of them open to dialogue for all sorts of people. I don't really censor who can post on my social media pages because I have friends across the spectrum, ethnically, culturally, black, white, whatever you are, politically. I mean, I got some fairly conservative friends who I'm really close to. I mean." pro-police people, people who, are qu- who aren't who are quite so pro-police. But there's one thing we all share in common, is that we're trying to create a better America. And we're coming from different sides. And we can agree, sometimes not agree, but at least we respect each other's perspective and how we're trying to take a bite at the same apple. There are some people who now, and I've quietly been deleting and blocking people for, you know, a couple of years now, ever since Trump took office, because when I warned them who Trump was and how he relates to people like me, they didn't believe me and they kept doing all this pro-Trump crap, not just like basic pro-Trump crap, but repeating the conspiracy theories and things like that. You know, you can vote for Trump. I'm cool with that. But you start buying to the stuff that's anti-democratic, pro-authoritarian, conspiratorial, that QAnon stuff, denying that Trump lost that's a marker that I have to put down because you do not believe in our democracy. That was the point I was making. We don't share the same values, period. if we don't share the same underlying values, we can't be friends. Whether I know you in person or not, you don't have access to my social media platform to spew your nonsense.
1: Right, and if you can't see it at this point, wow, what kind of a person are you? And nobody is condoning the violence of Black Lives Matter situations that got out of hand. I certainly didn't condone it. I know you didn't either. Hell, you were down there protecting people in uniform in riot
3: gear. But I do also want to say that I'm also condemning false equivalencies in 2021. I did it in 2020 and every year. But I also think there's a distinct difference between the BLM protests and insurrectionist riots that we saw Wednesday. And I saw some people were trying to say, yeah, they're kind of the same thing. I'm like, no, they're not the same thing. They were policed differently. And in fact, Nate Silver's group, 50, 5830, actually published some research today that said that BLM protests are policed differently and dealt with more harshly than white supremacist rallies.
1: Of course. I think. It's 538 than Nate Silverheads. But you were close. And I didn't advertise math as one of your expert areas. But you are an attorney. I'm going to qualify you there. You brought up Lynn Wood and just kind of segueing off of Christianity. I thought he was a tough, successful lawyer. I knew he had a big law firm a few years ago. He had a Christian conversion, born again started emailing all his partners, bizarre things every night. And now he's at a point where he's the lawyer for QAnon and he's just gone off the rails and he's still a licensed lawyer. You wanted to talk about him. What's going on with Linwood?
3: Well, if you look at his Twitter feed, he was actually calling for violent insurrection and that some people need to be treated like traitors and mostly Democrats and people who didn't support Trump. I find it difficult to be a lawyer who's sworn to uphold the Constitution. We're kind of sworn to do that. know. that's part of our gig, you know, is that, you know, we support we the Constitution.
1: It's official. <laughs> we take an oath to the Constitution, just like it, it, politicians.
3: It's, it's part of our jam, what we do as lawyers. You know, how can you be a lawyer, call yourself a lawyer, and a patriot when you're calling for violent insurrection, Simply because you don't like who got elected president. I'll be transparent about my biases. I didn't like it when George Bush got elected. Didn't like it when Trump got elected. Hey, George Bush has shown more class, you know, than Trump ever will have. Of
1: course. But let's stick with Linwood and other lawyers. Right in our midst, Jenna Ellis.
3: Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani. Sidney Powell. Yes. Um, the one lawyer who was on a call with Georgia, uh, the Secretary of State of Georgia, who was a senior partner Cleta at Federalist Mitchell.
1: And Cleta Mitchell. And did you see that asshole John Eastman inside everybody at the ellipse before the big march to fight for oh, Trump yeah. at the Capitol? John oh, Eastman, yeah. a regular on the Hugh Hewitt show, and a made guy in the Federalist Society,
3: too. I mean, I haven't heard the Federalist Society say anything about this yet, but I wonder where they're, where they're at on this. I mean, that's a, that's a good question because, you know, I get asked by my more conservative friends, you know, when somebody liberal does something, Terrence, what do you think about this? I'm like, why are you going to ask me? Because, you know, I'm harsh on both sides and I need to be. But I also don't believe in false equivalencies. But I think Jenna Ellis, for some reason, I, I think someone maybe should question her legal license.
1: You say somebody should. Why not you? Why not me? That's what I would think if I was listening out there. Well, you guys are talking big, but I hate to go after anybody's job or profession. And I'll tell you, I listened to that Georgia call. I bet you did, too. Did you hear the way Trump treated Cleta Mitchell as lawyer? It's Like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. OK, Cleta, let me talk. He was abusive. And I can just imagine the way he treats Jenna Ellis when he interacts
3: with her. Uh, He's an abusive person. Uh, You know, I probably, you're correct. I probably shouldn't go as far to say we need to strip her license. But at the very least, you know, there needs to be some examination of did she violate federal or Colorado rules as it pertains to bringing frivolous lawsuits.
1: Right. And there's a straight line between her bullshit and the death of officer Sicknick. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I think there is a line. That's why I get pissed off. Sorry to curse I just want to apologize for cursing in front of a clergyman.
3: I curse in front of myself all the time, so it's okay. Okay,
1: good. But you can forgive yourself.
3: No only Jesus can forgive me. There was a lawyer yesterday in federal district court, I believe in Georgia, and know uh, you might have to look this up, who the court asked who the court put out a show cause order as to why this lawyer should not be referred to attorney discipline. For filing a specious lawsuit it was a Trump lawyer.
1: I wrote a column against Jen Ellis. I said Colorado lawyers should be better than her. That was four weeks ago, because I could see where it was headed, but I never thought they'd breach the US Capitol and five people would die. Have you ever been a prosecutor,
3: Terrence? No. I thought about it for a minute and then I was like, no, I can't comfortably be a prosecutor. And uh, It had nothing to do with me thinking prosecutors do awful work. There's just some cases I wouldn't want to do because they would be too personal for me. So it was just better just not to do prosecution.
1: As you may have heard, and I brag about it all the time, I served 16 years as a prosecutor in Denver, Colorado, and I loved it. My hometown, when bad things happen, I could do something about it. Bad things happen in your hometown, D.C., and if I was sitting at the complaints desk in the DA's office and I had a piece of charging people, I'd charge everybody I could. But I would charge the organizer, the ringleader, under a theory of conspiracy solicitation and complicity, and it would be Donald Trump and I'd have him arrested today. And it's not a complicated case. It's all on video. And the invitation, it's going to get wild. Fight for Trump. I think there's a case that I could prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I'd throw the buck at him. So pretend you're a prosecutor. Wouldn't you like to be one now? Don't you agree?
3: It would be an interesting time to be a U.S. attorney. And I would love to be in one of these cases just because of all the legal questions that would be raised. Not for retribution, because, you know, I have this whole thing where I try to even when I'm mad and I want to call for retribution, I try to have my faith temper my self-centered need to get retribution. But, yeah, this would be an interesting case to be the u s. attorney on because you know there's so many, you know, especially with the people like Giuliani and other folks who are in the States, like the Trump children, you know, the question of yelling fire in a crowded room, right? or yelling fire in a theater. It's this a yelling fire in a theater type of situation? Because they're, int- they're interesting First Amendment Rep, questions. But you haven't
1: thought it through being a prosecutor. I said I'd charge him. I said I'd arrest him today. But you can always be lenient down the road. And I see disadvantages of imprisoning him. And maybe we can't do it because he's famous or whatnot. But at a minimum, we need a full accounting. We need a Trump truth squad to get to the bottom of what he did, how he did it. And we need to know everything about it. And then we can decide what to do about it. Would you agree?
3: Accountability. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Because I tweeted something about that today. I was like, you know, you can't. People are calling for unity and healing, but we can't have that without reconciliation. You can't have reconciliation without accountability. You can't have accountability about repentance. And you can't have repentance without acknowledging that they're truth-telling that there's something, a great wrong had been done to our nation. And what happened on Wednesday was a great wrong to our nation. And to put it in terms of religiosity, a great sin was committed against our nation, and we can't begin to heal until people are held accountable. Otherwise, we're going to go through all this thing all over again at some point in the history of our nation. And we need to make a point that those who participate in these types of seditious and treacherous activities, or complicit and are found to complicit in them, need to be dealt with to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, if you go back to history. And you look at what happened after the Civil War, you know, those senators who were found to be complicit in the sedition and treason related to the Civil War were removed from their seats. Senators and congressmen were removed from their office by both chambers. They were expelled.
1: I think I may have sold you short. I bet you have another area of expertise here, 7th you were in ROTC, which means you were probably in the military. I may have forgotten about that. Were you?
3: No, I was never in the military. And a funny story. I don't know if counts as even been in the military. I got a nomination to the U.S. Naval Academy coming out of high school. And then I was a blue chip athlete in track and field. I um, injured myself. And then I ended up having to go to running my last meet. So instead, I ended up going to the Naval Academy prep school, and started to get healed. And while I was there, I realized I really didn't want to be a naval officer. So I left the prep school, came back home, and ended up going to Morehouse.
1: Well, you still know more about it than me. I was never in ROTC. And I'm just wondering what the military is going to do. I'm sure you read that letter from every defense secretary living. And I think Dick Cheney was the author of it. That's interesting. Dick Cheney, Liz Cheney. I'm worried about the military and what Trump might do in the next couple of weeks? Am I right to be scared?
3: I think you're right, because he's shown himself to be unpredictable. But, you know, you look at General Miley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, and other generals and admirals have come out repeatedly unusual that they've had to do this. have come out repeatedly and said, you know, we're committed to, one, we're not going to get involved in this. And second, we swore an oath to the Constitution, and that includes uh, a peaceful transition of power.
1: All right, let me ask you, just because these are two questions I don't know, and you may know. If he's committing crimes in D.C., your hometown, will a pardon cover that because DC's all federal? Can he pardon or try to pardon himself for that?
3: If he could pardon himself, I don't believe he can. There's a Justice Spartan letter about that. It would cover things that happen in DC because the US attorney for DC prosecutes crimes in DC.
1: So if he made it happen in Denver, the Denver DA could charge him, but not in DC because there is no local DA. Correct. Okay, now we talk about the military, they have the right to disobey an unlawful order, correct? Correct. Now who decides that? My God, if somebody says you take this tank and drive it, you know, 15 miles up the road in Virginia. How can a sergeant or a captain say that's an unlawful order?
3: I mean, ultimately, it is up to each to the individual military person. But at the higher level of commands, there's teams of lawyers. I'm sure they're quite busy right now that actually talk about whether a command is legal or not, a lawful command or not, when the command is questionable.
1: So you have a right as military person to say I need to talk to my lawyer.
3: Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, and you can make a young lieutenant or a young sergeant can say this is an unlawful order and refuse to, and it triggers a whole chain of stuff that goes on.
1: See, I'm going to mark you down as an expert there, seven tool player. Give us hope for the future, Terrence Carroll. I really appreciate your time, your wisdom, your good attitude. You've given me a lot to think about. I had not thought about the golden Cap story for so long, but how apt is that? Lay it on
3: us. You know, I I mean, my baseline is always hope, you know, and, and, and it comes from, you know, my deep and abiding faith. In my opinion, you can't really be a person of faith if you can't find hope. And I look at the history of our nation. We've survived worse than Trump, shockingly enough. And I believe that we came close. I mean, we've come close this time. We bent a whole lot, but we didn't break. And I think we're going to go through a new period of reconstruction in this country where we really explore what does it mean to be a democratic republic, where we really explore what it means to be a representative democracy. What are our democratic and constitutional norms and how much do we really care about them. It's, it's one of those things where you don't really know how much you miss something or love something until it's almost taken away from you. I, I truly believe that the American people will try to, and, and in their best efforts, uh, make an attempt to re-explore democracy and re-explore representative democracy and not fall for the mind games and the gaslighting that has occurred from the president of the United States about democracy. So I really still have hope in our democracy. I have faith that people will wake up and realize that democracy is a fragile thing. It's not guaranteed. And it's something that we have to renew daily. We have to renew yearly. We have to renew every generation. And so I I have faith that we're at a point where people are willing to discuss this and that this will be a period of renewal.
1: You are a brilliant guest. I'm going to contact you with a fee agreement for me to be your agent. Now, (laughs) do you just want to be in broadcasting? I would not advise it because that feels pretty crowded. But what about me writing a letter to Joe Biden saying, you've got Terrence Carroll sitting here in Colorado and you should play him. He's a seven-tool player. What job do you want? I'll get it for you.
3: I like living here in Colorado and I, I just, I'd I rather, you know, I can do better for, you know, I think for our country and for our state by me staying right here in Park Hill and doing the work that I do on democracy reform and and, and really holding us accountable for being, uh, for uh, holding democratic principles, both in this state and, and nationally.
1: Well, you are a superstar and I really appreciate you coming back to the lounge on such an amazing week in American history. Thank you, Terrence.
3: Thanks, Craig. Hope to see you soon in person.
1: Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Take care, my friend.
5: You too.
1: law llc.com
0: now back to the Fred silverman
1: show an honor a privilege to welcome a professor from my alma mater the colorado college he's in the journalism department Corey hutchins professor hutchins welcome to the podcast
5: good to be here thanks for uh thinking of me tell me about
1: your background i know you're at cc you've been there for how many years
5: Well, I started uh, teaching uh, at Colorado College. As you recall, Craig is on an interesting schedule. It doesn't have a typical semester. Students take only one class for three and a half weeks, for three hours a day. And that means that you can really get into a subject in a pretty intensive way. I think it's really great to teach journalism on a schedule like that. So I started teaching a block or so, or even a half block, about three years ago. And now I uh, I teach six a year. That
1: is so cool. It's an important profession. They did not have it at CUC back when I matriculated. When did it come into existence? And do you agree on the importance of journalism, even if you don't get paid well?
5: Yes. <laughs> to answer your second question, absolutely. Um, the Journalism Institute at Colorado College is relatively new. Professors had taught individual classes of journalism for decades at Colorado College. They would bring in block visitors uh, like myself, uh, folks who who practice journalism from all over the country to come teach a block. Stephen Hayward is chair of the English department and uh, does radio journalism, writes novels and all sorts of stuff. He helped kind of create a journalism institute just a couple years ago, uh, asked me to uh, come in and kind of help revamp the minor. We don't have a journalism major at Colorado College. We have a minor. And I really like that. I like the idea students majoring in a different topic, minoring in journalism and then being able to, if they want to go practice journalism later in life, have their major or their their minor inform their major. We've had a journalist, Liz Forster, who graduated with a major in environmental policy and a minor in journalism, went on to the Gazette here in town, the Colorado Springs Gazette, and she became their environmental reporter. So it works very well. And yeah, absolutely, I, I believe in the in the importance of journalism.
1: These are extraordinary times. I just came from watching Joe Biden refer to the big lie. And I've been using that term for a while. It's not original to me. The New York Times reported on it, but I knew how dangerous it was the moment it started. You're the professor, and I'm the Jewish guy who doesn't like to use Nazi metaphors, but only when there's danger, big danger. And Is this the kind of thing you talk about in journalism class or let's just talk about it because it's on my mind. In fact, I called you late because I was rage tweeting about it and urging some public officials to do what Mitt Romney said to do. Tell the truth. Anyway, I'll let you take off
5: on that broad runway. Sure. Language and word choice and precision in language is something that journalists do pay particularly close attention to and that journalists are paying more and they're having to back up those choices in the digital age in a way that they might not have had to in in decades of the past think about for a moment what a newspaper editor or a newspaper reporter think about the feedback mechanism back when there was just a newspaper that came out in your city in the morning and then another one At night, And readers didn't have this democratized access to all sorts of information and all sorts of news from all sorts of sources all the time. Newspaper editors and reporters would get feedback on their stories if somebody, and frankly, even when I started in my career, not all that long ago, I would publish a a story in print and maybe I'd get a phone call, a letter to the editor, uh, and later an email. But now, as soon as a journalist publishes a story, it hits the web, and people can respond to it in absolute real time. And they do, and it can put extreme pressure on a news organization or on an individual reporter when folks will pick over how they use words. I will give you a really good example from Thursday's front pages of the two largest newspapers in Colorado just yesterday obviously they're going to have on their front page news about what happened at the Capitol on on Wednesday, right?
1: And just for everybody, this podcast drops Saturday morning at 9 a.m. We are recording late on Friday afternoon. We're watching Donald Trump get surrounded by people telling him he needs to quit, et cetera. We'll get to that. But gosh, what an opportunity with Corey Hutchins, who's an expert on journalism and Colorado journalism in particular. And just before we leave that subject, the Colorado Sun, where I write columns where Corey had a great end of the year compilation of big media stories in Colorado. There is no commentary section. And I think that's good. But back to you, Corey Hutchins. Explain what the Denver Post and the Gazette, how their big headlines reflected their agendas. or or lack of agendas?
5: So we were talking about word choice and how that matters, right, In, in news writing. So on Thursday morning, readers of the Denver Post pulled the orange wrap off their paper and saw on the front page that a big headline was Trump incited mob storms U.S. Capitol. Readers an hour south in Colorado Springs opened up, Their newspaper saw on the front page the headline "Capital Under Siege." Denver Post again. Trump incited mob storms capital. Gazette. Capital under siege. I found that really interesting because just this week I was talking with students in an introduction to journalism class about how in journalism we try to use the active voice versus the passive voice because passive voice can often hide action. It can obscure agency. So I picked both of these headlines on my computer screen, put them together and took a screen grab of it, and just put it out there on my Twitter account, Colorado's two largest newspapers, active versus passive. Trump incited mob storms, U.S. capital from the Denver Post, Capital under siege from the Gazette. It was probably one of the most engaging, and I just really just kind of put it out there not expecting too much, but it kind of got a lot of attention for some reason. And as you say, for some reason, I think I know why. I think it's because some folks who looked at that were trying to really try and parse that and understand and try and apply some kind of motive to it. Why would the Denver Post have such an active headline with Trump's name in it? Trump incited mob storms, US Capitol. Why might the Gazette go with a kind of, uh, go with a more, more passive headline, Capitol under siege, right? That leaves an open question. Under siege by whom? Right. And so then folks start to get into, well, is it because the Gazette has some sort of agenda? Could they be hiding something? Or is it because the Denver Post has some sort of agenda and they want to get this message out? These are the kind of issues that news editors and news organizations have to face, because once they put that out there, once that headline is out there, they might have to defend it in the digital age, you know, uh, that they that they might not have had to in years past. And and we've seen with larger institutions like the New York Times put a column out and get all sorts of feedback online from it and, and change a headline. That certainly has happened. So to get back to your big point there, yeah, in journalism, we do spend a lot of time thinking about how to describe things that are happening and the individual words uh, that we use. There were quite a few debates that I saw in the past couple of days about whether to call what happened, to a, a riot uh, versus a protest, whether to call it a, an insurrection? And news organizations, your listeners should know, do have style guides. A lot of them follow the Associated Press for guidance, and The Associated Press will often uh, you know, take on the news of the day and say, "Here's what we, we think you ought to use." And then journalists will also uh, kind of follow local style as well.
1: I'm not sure what my role is, because sometimes I'm a subject of a reporter's inquiries. Other times, I'm asking questions. I've been a broadcaster for quite a while now. I like the description that I'm a, a pundit, and I just give my opinion if I feel strongly. And I'm just saying that I don't use the words big lie lightly and I put the capital B and the capital L to say, it's Hitlerian. And the big lie after Germany lost World War One that they were stabbed in the back, they really didn't lose. It was the elites and these are the people to blame. We all know what that led to. And so people have free speech rights. And I just think that with Ron Klein, who's a Jewish guy, a little younger than me, and I've heard him many times, he doesn't use those words lightly either. We're in for it. And I'm proud of the Denver Post and CNN and MSNBC for saying Donald Trump is falsely claiming that he lost in a rigged election, but other outlets won't do that. What are the journalistic considerations in that?
5: Well, I think that we saw and, you know, it's going back a, a couple years now. I think I recall the Denver Post back when Chuck Plunkett was the editorial page editor, was one of the few newspapers that actually used the word lie in, used the word Donald Trump and lie in a headline or said that the president lied. That has been for the past four years an ongoing debate among different journalistic institutions about whether to use that word in coverage or in headlines. I think the debate comes down to the folks who, who don't want to use it will say, well, we, we can't read his mind. What if he doesn't know that he's lying? Is it a lie? I think that in the more recent era, has just kind of gone out of the way. I think we are. I feel like I am seeing more and more news outlets, you know, being a little more comfortable with uh, that word in particular.
1: That word is pretty much outlawed in courts that I practice in Colorado courts. You have to come up with a way to say, well, that version is preposterous or ridiculous. Ah. But the word, you're a liar, is a big one. And I use it advisedly, too. But let's have some fun. Because if you're not following Corey Hutchins on Twitter, you're missing out. And you've got good gossip. Let's stir it up, because there's more to this story about the Gazette and their passive headline, Capital Under Siege. Wayne Loggison, who's been a guest many times on my show, married to T.D. Loggison, who's been a guest on my show, they're involved in a controversy, and Kyle Clark is sort of involved. You are the guru on Colorado media and journalism. What's going on? Give us the gossip. So the
5: the background to this is that Wayne, who's the, as he said, the editorial page editor of the Gazette in Colorado Springs. First of all, just to set some context here, the Gazette's editorial page is probably one of the more conservative editorial pages in Colorado. The Gazette is owned by Denver billionaire Phil Anschutz conservative billionaire, right? And oftentimes you see these newspapers that are owned by individuals or families will have an editorial board that tends to reflect the views of of ownership. So the Gazette has a conservative or what I've heard Wayne Laugerson describe it as a right of center editorial board in comparison certainly to the other larger newspaper editorial boards in the state. And so they see themselves as kind of occupying that kind of territory. They're speaking to that constituency in Colorado. And they have an interesting place in that because, as you know, Colorado is now a a, a blue state at the state level, right? So the first time since 1930s, we have Democrats running uh, the show, almost all, all of the constitutional offices in the House and the Senate, right? Don't tell that to Lauren Boebert. Well, okay, we'll get, to, we'll get to her later. Let's get to her later. So now we have the Colorado Springs Gazette, and now we have the Denver Gazette, which is kind of moving into the Denver market. And they are trying to provide a conservative outlet in Denver. So the only newspaper of note that I know of in the state that endorsed both Cory Gardner and Lauren Boeber. So people come to them to find the conservative opinion of the day. It sounds like the editorial page editor was in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, when, like around.: when the, during, did Yes They, took pictures right. and, took, took pictures and them. posted them on Facebook. And one thing that we should just say right out of the way is, I have yet to see anything on the editorial page of the Gazette. Uh, I, I haven't seen an editorial or a column from them about this yet. So what we're talking about is stuff that we've seen on Facebook. And in a post on Facebook, somebody asked Wayne what he thought about this idea that the people who stormed the Capitol who, who got inside were Antifa, members of Antifa in disguise. And what Wayne wrote back, uh, or I should say, what somebody from what looks to be or appears to be you know, Wayne's Facebook page account wrote back, quote, they looked nothing like members of the typical Trump rally crowd, probably Antifa. Colorado Times Recorder, which is a progressive news outlet run by Jason Salzman, picked the story up and ran it. You mentioned Kyle Clark. I don't think he opined on this directly, but he did, you know, he he's been doing a lot of coverage on what happened on Wednesday, and he did say that, you know, blaming Antifa is what he called a a, quote loyalty test or an initiation right for a certain kind of political set and then interestingly some former gazette reporters kind of got in on this on social media weighing in and kind of one of them at least was pointing out this is conrad swanton he's at the denver post now he was a reporter at the gazette not too long ago kind of trying to remind people that the editorial board is separate from the newsroom at a newspaper and that there's supposed to be some sort of firewall here. And that I can tell you it's an interesting situation because it comes down to media literacy, not a lot. I wouldn't say the majority of people who read newspapers, uh, even the majority of subscribers, I'm not sure, really understand that there is a difference between an editorial page, an opinion page, and what happens in the news section. The news reporters, just because a paper is right-wing, or it's, I'm sorry, a paper's editorial board is right wing or left wing, doesn't necessarily mean that that's how the news coverage, you know, goes.
1: Right. But it's sort of like the military right now, disobey an unlawful order. I'm wondering what you teach your students. I mean, you're working at Fox News or The Blaze. You've got a job. They want you to write it a certain way. Are you ethically required to quit or is it just everybody's personal conscience?
5: oh, I would say the the latter. I would say exercise your personal conscience. Because in practice, it can be a little problematic. Your listeners might not know this, but newspaper jobs are declining and have been for a long time. It's hard to get a job at a local newspaper now because there are so few of them. So to tell a news reporter, to, to have a news reporter thinking, and here's here's what I will say. I've taken classes to newspapers where we sit down and we talk with the editors and the reporters. And in one of those field trips, a reporter really kind of went off when a student asked the question about, hey, how do you feel about how the editorial page runs itself? And the reporter got real kind of upset and said, sometimes I read those editorials, it makes my blood boil. She said, I almost quit a couple of times because of the things that they've written. Um, she said, I know we lose subscribers sometimes because of the things that the editorial page writes. But yeah, I think there's, there's also a belief that a reporter might feel that they're doing more for their community and society by being on the beat, reporting the critical information needs of their community uh, than if they're not. So that's what, you know, that's kind of the interplay there. There's something going on, Craig, in Toledo, the Toledo Blade. There's a byline strike right now among reporters at the Toledo Blade, where the the newsroom's union has said, some of the reporters said, we're not going to publish anything. We're going to strike because we don't like what management has done or said. So you see those things come up from time to
1: time. Let's let's stay closer to home. Kyle Clark is a fascinating character. He is a dominant force in local news. And part of it is... He goes wild on Twitter and he's funny, sarcastic, and pointed. And he has called out the bullshit behind the big lie that flows right through Colorado. And I admire him for doing so. And he's taking unmerciful crap. First of all, would you consider him a reporter, a
5: journalist, a pundit, all of those? Mm. Yeah. So he is a nightly news anchor for Nine News, KUSA. In Denver. He's a journalist. And you know, I really try not to um I'm not putting him
1: down. No, no. I, I think he's great. And when Trump said what he did after Charlottesville, that was the huge red flag for me. And I spoke out and he invited me on. And
5: he's one of the most prominent journalists in Colorado.
1: I agree. So he's also pissed off because he and his family have paid a cost and there's constant threats, doxing. And everybody has it in for Channel 9, the right focused on Kyle Clark. And Conrad, who you mentioned from Conrad Swenson from the Post, he just got doxxed, as I'm sure you're well aware, by who was it, Patrick Neville and uh, the Trumpster world. I mean, this is something that your classes are going to have to deal with, but keep up with the gossip. Isn't that behind the scenes? Conrad had his address released and these guys aren't playing
5: fair, are they? Here's what happened with Conrad and his co-author, Alex Burnett. Two reporters for the Denver Post wrote a fairly critical piece about the Colorado Republican Party asking the question. And the headline was, what happened to the Colorado GOP essentially doing an autopsy after their wipeout in the latest elections. And part of their story focused on, quite a bit of their story focused on the House Minority Leader Patrick Neville of Douglas County. And, you know, how he kind sort of run the Fox and focused a lot on campaign contributions and to the extent to which they went to members of this person's family, things like that. Obviously, the uh, subject of that news coverage, not happy. So because voter registration records in Colorado are public records and, and unless you are a confidential voter, somebody can go down and pull your file, uh, House Minority Leader Patrick Neville posted the voter registration info of these two reporters pointing out that one was a registered Democrat and one was an unaffiliated voter who used to be uh, a registered Democrat. You might think that that is fair
1: game. It's definitely fair game against the enemy of the people. I mean, that's what Donald Trump uh, told everybody. These guys are the enemy of the people.
5: Here's the problem. You could, if you looked close enough, see... The either full address or parts of the address of where these reporters lived. Now we're getting kind of
1: scary. Let's turn it to what's going on right now. That's Trumpster World, right? Isn't he the guy who encourages that kind of behavior? He has called the media the enemy of the people. And I wonder, yeah. you know, C. is a pretty liberal place, let's face it, but you probably get conservatives. We had them back in the day. And In a college classroom, is it, well, we have to give Trump point of view and the other point of view? Or is it, no? I I mean, how do you handle it? Uh, What do you you mean? I mean, do you have to say, well, Donald Trump says this; it was a rigged election and other people are saying it's a big lie. Now let's debate the merits of that or it's all about how you would cover it, I suppose. In a journalism
5: class. Yeah, I mean, we talk we talk about false balance and, and, and false equivalency just because somebody says one thing and somebody says another. Does not mean you have to make some sort of uh, you know, mathematical equation and say we need to bring in three people that say this thing and find three people just to just to say the opposite?
1: Right. It's a strange world. I think it's really an important profession. I want to tout Colorado College because the block plan was great. I loved it. And I caught you the other day when we spoke in person for the first time. And you are teaching a class and utilizing the movie Absence of Malice. Just give people an average day in the life of a Colorado college student taking your class. Sometimes you have to read a book or two a night. Am I right?
5: Yeah. So I'll tell you, that the students, they're reading the elements of journalism right now. That is a 320-some-odd page book, and they started on Monday, they'll finish it by tonight. We'll read a book next week by Anthony Lewis called Freedom for the Thought that We Hate about the First Amendment, and then we'll read another book in, in week three called The View from Somewhere. So yes, yeah, they read a lot. I'll tell you this, one thing that's a lot different about Colorado College right now than when you were in school Craig is that we're we're teaching online because of COVID and the pandemic. So, two and a half to to 3 hours online on Zoom. As you remember, the Colorado the classes at Colorado College are, are pretty small. So, right now I have about 15 students. So, it can really kind of make for a pretty robust discussion. I have them talk individually in groups. If you wanted to you know, talk about an average day. Yesterday, they had what we call a reading and discussion day. They watched that film, Absence of Malice, which is a 1981 Sydney Pollock film about journalism and, and how it can go wrong sometimes. Uh, they watched that, and then we had small group discussions in which I kind of jumped in to participate uh, if if needed to facilitate. And the prompt was to kind of try and analyze that film through the question of truth versus accuracy. And I wanted to try and get them to interrogate uh, whether they believe there was a difference uh, between truth and accuracy. And if so, what are the parameters of that difference? And it can, as you probably remember from the CC, it can really lead to pretty robust discussions and Like I said before, I couldn't imagine teaching anywhere else. I
1: loved Colorado College, and I did well because you got credit for speaking in class. And I always love to express myself. I'm glad you do, too. You are a welcome addition to our show. These are troublesome times. What sort of optimistic message do you have for the people?
5: Every week I write a a column um, at coloradomedia.substack.com about what's going on on the local media scene around Colorado, and it can be sometimes I make a joke that I, I'm on the, the the local news dystopia beat because a lot of it when we talk about the business model of journalism is is bad news but journalism I have heard this i don't know who said it but I've heard that journalism and I believe that journalism will outlast its institutions it will always it will it will change, but it will always be you know, absolutely necessary for our democracy, for society. Uh, and as long as there are people out there reporting on, you know, providing the information to citizens that they need to be free and self-governing, I think that that will be the case we'll just find different ways to do it so i am optimistic about the the industry and the craft and i tell my students it's the best of times worst of times kind of scenario where we are it might be harder to get a job in traditional journalism when they graduate than in years past but journalism is also becoming more personally entrepreneurial now and there are paths that exist that any student in any class in any year could, you know, go out and become the next independent writer for either their, their own site uh, do doing something on their own. They could go join a a large uh, traditional legacy publication.
1: Well, I wish I could take your class. I think it's fascinating. Keep up your great work. Everybody should follow you online. And a pathway is Twitter while we still have it. But give everybody an indication where they can find you online.
5: Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Corey Hutchins uh, on Twitter. And uh, I write a, a weekly newsletter you can find at coloradomedia.substack.com.
1: Now, Corey is C-O-R-E-Y, right? That's right. Thank you. As opposed to Corey Gardner. Have you seen that guy? Has anybody talked to him?
5: I can't remember the last time I saw
1: his name in a in a news story. I know. It would be a nice time for him to speak up. But there goes my punditry again. Hey, it's great talking to you, Corey. Let's Thanks do it for having again. Me. Good luck at C Thank you. Bye. In my practice of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed. That's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard?
6: So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and, and matters like that so they can, they can deal with that. I have a friend who's really, really good and really, really smart and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite just the finances don't make sense to them so you don't want to pick that type of person you want to pick somebody who can understand finances you want to pick somebody who's trustworthy who will carry out your decisions and if you can do it you want to pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them or getting their feelings hurt
0: now back to the craig silverman show
1: My Troubadour?
7: Yes, I am. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year, Craig. How's the year going for you? Well, for me, it's going great. Thank you. All is well with my family. The Gunders household is doing fine.
1: Thank you for the two holiday specials. 24 different Dave Gunders songs. And we have a beauty today called Rather Be Right. How long ago did you write this
7: beauty? Oh, about maybe three, four
1: years ago. Now, once again, I don't think you have the right meaning behind your own song. Maybe not. I may be more of an expert on things like that, but you are better at music. Some of your songs, I don't play an instrument, but I think I could probably learn how to play that on a guitar, but not this one. It's kind of fancy guitar playing, almost flamenco.
7: Right. More, I think of it as a little more like a a South African style or a, An African style of guitar. But I appreciate that you noticed that, Craig. And you know what? If there's any parts that you think you'd like to learn, come on over and I'll see if I can teach them to you.
1: No, that one would be too hard. Here's what I noticed mainly the words, the symbolism, because I don't think you really understand what you are writing, even when you are writing it. But I love the imagery. Right at the start, you have a provocative line about see how our angels fly out of our house. Every time, you know, crap comes out your mouth. No, I think you have a better lyric. But, wow. And then at the end, two angels appear.
7: And then the two angels, my daughters, do appear. In fact, I've never thought of that way, but there they are.
1: Well, you see, and now I know you are the singer, but you get your both daughters, Rachel and Sarah, backing up your argument, which essentially is one person telling another person that, hey, I think you're nuts.
7: Right. Kind of. (laughs) Yes.
1: But here's another way to look at it, because maybe you are the nut and the other person is the same one.
7: Well, I appreciate your observation with that. I think we can say that it's about a relationship that is kind of stymied because neither one sees the other's point of
1: view. Right. And for you to illustrate just how off the other person is, you say, you're asking me to count the stars, and the sun is shining bright.
7: Right. You know, Craig. You know what I was reminded of. What? Just to vault into some of the more of the of the uh, of the events of the day. It was one of your guests. You'll remember, but he was talking about the partisanship, and the way he described it was he would sit in a chair, and someone would come to him from the other side of the aisle and say, "That's a table," <laughs> and he says, "No, this is a chair. I'm sitting in this chair," and they say. That's a table. How can you continue a relationship and how can you move towards compromise when you're dealing with someone like that?
1: Okay, let me get back to the basic question because I want you to be introspective. If somebody asks you to count the stars at night on a clear night, yes, is that even possible?
7: Well, it's at least you can give it a go.
1: What about when the sun is shining bright?
7: Then there's no stars. <laughs>
1: And that's where you're trapped, because there is one star. It's the sun. Oh,
7: you got me on that one.
1: Anyway, God, you are the perfect foil, even with your own music. And I know it's a guy, but you got your two daughters coming in. And to apply it to modern times and Trumpism, which would call a chair a table. Yeah. Maybe this is Melania's song, because you have another terrific line in there that this person can't be trusted in any way. And did you bite off more than you could chew when you said, I'm the only one? So the partner is not just a liar and out of touch with reality, also a promiscuous liar who clearly cheated on Melania and Stormy Daniels was something that he had to stay away from. And Michael Cohen went to jail for that, even though he was the guy who directed it. Now it looks like he directed that mob scene at the Capitol. And you know, Sam, my beautiful senior in high school, and I had the day of our life in that building. I've described it many times. And I just hated to see that. Thank God it could have been a lot worse. But now did you hear a police officer died as a result nope.
7: of it. I yes. did not hear that. Wow. That must be very recent news.
1: But I know you go to your music. You don't follow the news as I do. But this one you are. What do you think of what happened when they stormed the Capitol?
7: Well, to me, you know, it was a disruption. It was a mob act. You know, we can call it. A, I mean, I think calling it a coup kind of gives too much credit to the thinking behind it, which I don't think there was much. I don't think it was well orchestrated.
1: Here's the best line, and let me give it from Ian Silveri, called it a Q-data, because the poor woman who got shot and killed, she was a QAnon believer, a veteran of the Air Force. She was committed to it, and she paid for her belief in this bullshit conspiracy theory, which Trump feeds into and all those guys. Anyway, go on. I interrupted.
7: But this is what I would like to say about that before we leave that, Craig, is that They may have been incited and it may have been Trump and he may be, you know, there may be he may be liable for for some of this inciting. But ultimately, every individual is responsible for their actions, for their beliefs and for their actions. And I think that people who busted through the windows and doors of our nation's capital, they need to be prosecuted. And people need to know that you just can't do that and then walk home, you know, go sit, sit at Nancy Pelosi's desk with your feet up and then just walk home.
1: And that guy was white supremacist. I totally agree. But you have to hold them responsible. But you have to hold responsible the guy who invited them to Washington, told them it was going to be wild, gave a speech, said, let's march down the street to the Capitol and show them how we cheer for the people who support us. And we don't cheer the people who don't. And we're going to fight for Trump, fight for Trump. Donald Trump Jr. got them all stirred up. Anyway, you can stir people up. Absolutely. Anyway, Mitt Romney got stirred up. And it makes me think of your song, Rather Be Right, because you have a line in there about dark eyes flashing in rage. Did you see Mitt Romney stare darts into Josh Hawley?
7: Yes, I saw. He He was emotional. He was very passionate about his thinking that it was Trump inciting that riot.
1: Right. And Mm -hmm. it's getting poor people to reach conclusions. I do believe in personal accountability. Watch that Netflix show, Social Dilemma, because people start getting information fed to them. You're not online the way most of us are, but it's really tough on kids. You start going down that rabbit hole, it's terrible. And that brings us to your beautiful song because There's a person on one side or the other of this relationship who's way off. I think Donald Trump is way off and kind of hope we can survive it. Don't you, Troubadour Dave Gunders?
7: Long after Trump leaves, we're still going to be facing this problem, this polarization. And, you know, I I think about it. You think about it. and, And, you know, I think that it's reasonable that there's a disenfranchised group of people who feel like the government hasn't worked for them and there's nothing but broken promises. I understand that. But I think it's coupled with a kind of a psychological profile, people who tend to follow cult figures and who, who like to throw in with, with that type of mentality. They go for conspiracy theories. To me, that's more of a psychological problem. And unbe- it's unbelievable that so many people have right, fallen into it, that hole.
1: It, it's a human condition. It's the second time it's happened in a Western civilized, mainly Christian country, and a lot of people are buying the words of a madman and big lies. You and I discussed that before. To use the term big lie out of respect to your dad who had to flee Germany, all of our people who got murdered, 6 million. Did you see the Nazi bastards who were in the Capitol? Some of the Garb Camp Auschwitz signed six million were not enough. These are the people. This is what I encountered in a certain element of Trump supporters. Right. And he's brought it to the surface. And it's good to know Merrick Garland, who is a Jewish man brought up in Chicago. I think you know about that. Yeah. He's going to be our new attorney general. And did you know the Department of Justice was formed in order to save the gains of the Civil War and to fight against ongoing, you know, disparate treatment. It was just a shame the way these people were allowed to storm the Capitol and to walk right out. But now they're getting arrested and there's going to be new, there's got to be accountability. And to me, that includes Donald Trump, although his one defense might be insanity, Just like whoever's wrong in your song, Rather Be Right. Thanks a lot for this beautiful song, Troubadour. And thanks for, uh, what do you call it? Our treason opening season? With all credit to...
7: The treason opener. Treason opener. The tree's an opener, and Craig, congratulations. Has it been a year? Well, it's a new year,
1: 2020 right. to
7: 2021.
1: Right. We're starting, I mean, you have to get to work on your music, another 26 episodes.
7: I want to thank you for all the hard work and very insightful questions that you put to some very, very interesting people over this last year. Your guests, it would be worth putting together just a best of, and I think it would be hard to, that would be a hard two hours to fill because there's been a lot of, really good conversation that comes out of the craig silverman podcast i appreciate it craig thank you thank you
1: and my show as a troubadour and your music is beautiful your lyric writing you don't understand what you're writing but it's amazing
7: probably not
1: (laughs) have a good one all right all right thanks Craig. Bye. bye
2: Our angels fly from this house Every time those angry words fly from your pretty mouth And I can no longer bite my tongue Did you take on more than you can chew When you said I was the only one Your dark eyes flash in rage. When I say it makes no sense to me, you go insane. Your logic flitters here and there like bats, pursuing something I can't see. Dark and blind this way and that. You ask me if I want to get along, or do we fight? I'd rather be right. You kick and scream until the night is the dawn. You're wiping back your tears Admitting you were wrong Right I trust what I see with my own eyes I think I'll be true to myself Before I compromise Cause I'd rather be right Right Thing to respect another side, but I won't give in and hang my head. Did you think about these words I said, you're asking me to count the stars. The sun is shining bright. I'd rather be right. All right, well, I thought about it's hard. And don't ask me to follow when you're stumbling in the dark. All right, you paint your fiction, call it fact. Take a little more than that Cause I'd rather be right
1: medical directives, what sort of qualities are we looking for there?
6: You're looking for somebody who cares about you, somebody who wants to take care of you, but also somebody who's not afraid of making that decision because, you know, bad things might happen. You know, if if you have a, a son or a daughter who, you know, absolutely, you know, is, is the stereotypical mama's boy and can't imagine anything bad ever happening to his mom... And then suddenly has to make a decision about what kind of surgery mom needs to have, or you know, are we going to what treatment option are we gonna have for mom and paralyzed by, oh no, I can't have anything bad happen to mom. Not the right person. So you want somebody who can look at a situation, still loves their still loves the person, but is able to do do what's right and do what's necessary for your parents or for whoever you have that you're acting on behalf of.
1: Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings, 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com.
0: Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show.
7: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
1: What a pleasure to welcome back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, the Honorable Steve Woodrow, representative from Denver. Welcome back, Steve.
4: Craig, thanks so much for having me back. It's always great to be here.
1: Happy New Year to you, but I'm worried about 2021 after the events of this week. Have you ever seen anything like the invasion of the U.S. Capitol? And what is
4: your reaction? No, I'm getting up there in years, Craig, but I wasn't alive in 1814. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's seen that. anything like this. This is you know, a true sacking of the U.S. Capitol. Like everyone else, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm saddened. This is a heartbreaking week for the country, and a lot of the Trump presidency has been moments of where we watch history unfold as it's happening. But this is a lot for all of us to come and process and try to handle it. We saw our representatives hunkered down, we saw guns drawn. A woman shot and killed. I mean, this is all terrible. We mourn for for the loss of, of something, of loss of life, but but something much greater than that as well.
1: Five people died. I want you to put on your legislator hat. Has it occurred to you I could be sitting in the House chambers in the Colorado Capitol, and Trump people or some group could come for you in that way? Did it make you
4: think? It's difficult not to internalize it, but. You know, at the same time, we have great security, the Colorado Capitol. You know, we've been very fortunate, but there have been violent instances of people storming state capitals. I think we saw that, I believe it was Michigan, and perhaps elsewhere, at least attempted elsewhere. Look, this is a time when people are really upset, and their passions are being inflamed. They're being lied to. They're being misled. They're being whipped up into a frenzy and a fur. There's a price, and you know this. There's a cost to telling folks that the election was stolen and to say stop the steal and that there was widespread fraud and to insist falsely that there was evidence when there wasn't you know I mean you and I know both you know well that bearing false witness is up there with you know the 10 worst things you could possibly do and we have you know people claiming that they've seen things that are demonstrably false. There's a cost to when you lie to people like that, you can you whip them up into a fervor? You can't expect nothing to happen.
1: Steve, my world is the criminal justice world, and I used to teach at the Denver Police Academy in co-aid crime, the law of solicitation, conspiracy, and complicity. Here you have a woman shot dead, a cop grievously injured, three other people died. Donald Trump is responsible for that, according to what I remember from criminal law. What say you? Is that what you were taught at your law school?
4: Well, we never envisioned in my law school this level of incitement, but there's certainly borderline or, or criminal behavior here. And if it's not a crime, it should have been. You're not allowed to whip a crowd into an absolute frenzy and tell them to walk down the street and take by force what they're not allowed to.
1: Fight for Trump. You know, I know Kimberly Guilfoyle. I knew her back in the day when she covered the Kobe Bryant case along with me. I got to know her through the years, and now she's with Donald Trump Jr. Did you see his speech firing up the crowd before they went to the Capitol?
4: Yes, of course. And look, it's pretty basic as an elected official. You're not allowed to get people all frenzied up and then direct them to go commit violence. That's what we have here. And you can either say it was intentional or at least a a conscious disregard of what's going to happen when you tell people to go do something like this, but it's pretty clear. And it's pretty clear what happened. In fact, it's so repulsive and repugnant that the people responsible for it quickly disavowed it, quickly tried to put distance between themselves and it, quickly tried to say that that's not who we are. And some have gone so far as to engage in, you know, the old psychological projection of couldn't have been us, it must be Antifa. So you know it was bad. You know it was awful. And of course, the president bears ultimate responsibility for it because this is what he's been pushing for for weeks. This didn't just happen a couple of days ago. There was a lead up to this. There was an invitation. He said it was going to be wild. He got other prominent right wing figures to join him, and then he came down and he whipped the crowd up into a frenzy. They all, they all bear responsibility in this. You don't get to create Frankenstein, and then. You know, disavow
1: the monster. Donald Trump unleashed these people to invade the capital of the United States. I've been there. I had one of the greatest days of my life with my son, Sam, 15 years old. We got to attend special events at the Capitol, and it's just an incredible building. I expect you've been there. What are your thoughts? Isn't it really the home of America right there?
4: It is. There's a special energy and a feeling in in state capitals, but especially the U.S. Capitol and it, and the whole mall complex in D.C. You know, when you go building to building, it's there's just something so so incredibly special about it. And you know, even our opponents on the other side of the aisle, I remember them this summer being very impassioned about state capitals with graffiti on them, being barricaded, and and what an affront it was to our entire system of democracy. This is the United States Capitol. Like I said at the outset, this is heartbreaking. These images are going to be seared into our memories for a very long time about when the United States Capitol was sacked in support of Donald Trump.
1: Right. I hope he can't recover from this. I hope there's accountability. You're a great lawyer. Tell me who should be held responsible. Donald Trump, of course. What about Donald Trump Jr.? What about Rudy Giuliani? And let's talk about the lawyers. Jenna Ellis, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood. What should happen to those people?
4: Yeah, well, all the attorneys who've been filing frivolous lawsuits, making false claims publicly and in court documents, need to be brought up before their state bars. And the state bars need to act. what's the point of having ethics requirements and, and state bar review and character and fitness and passing ethics tests just to get seated for the bar, if you're allowed to spread lies and demonstrably false things and break the law. So these folks need to be held accountable. In terms of Trump, the big question right now in everyone's minds is 25th Amendment or impeachment, do we remove? My only concern with any of that is a pardon. I want to see you know accountability like everyone else, and I think that, in this case, that means a long sentence in federal prison for his host of criminal offenses. So yeah, everyone needs to be held accountable here. And that's the big question. We can't have a situation where the people who commit the crimes are let off the hook again. It just sends the message to everyday people are out there saying this system is rich. If you're rich and you're powerful, there's a different set of rules. If the law doesn't apply to you. We got to show forcefully that, that that's not true, especially here.
1: I totally agree. I say throw the bucket, at Donald Trump. 25th Amendment should have been utilized. I have no confidence that Mike Pence would ever do anything like that. And now it appears impeachment is on the table. I'm all for it. Just drop the charges. And the Senate has already proved they don't need any evidence. They were there. They were witnesses. Drop the charges. Let the Senate vote. They can say yes. They can say no. But do it.
4: Do you agree? I would love that in theory I think the problem here is we have a bunch of senators who have, who have a lot on their hands right now and a lot of a lot of responsibility rests at their feet. I mean you start with the fact that they were complicit in his presidency and they refused to hold a real trial and remove him after the impeachment a year ago. But I mean we're talking about refusing to accept a legitimate election, Senator Cruz launching his bogus objections with his gang of however many he had following him. Senator Holliday, who only became a household name this week because he supports sedition. You know, these folks have to be held accountable. And so, you know, asking them to hold Trump accountable, I mean, only if they calculate that it saves their own skin.
1: And we haven't even discussed that called Brad Raffensperger, trying to browbeat him into swinging roughly 12,000 votes to his side so he can win. To me, that's criminal as well. It's reprehensible.
4: Well, it's right out of a Francis Ford Coppola movie. We literally got, you know, an earful of crime and and you know an attempted election theft right as it was happening. And apparently, we we missed some of the good stuff. Apparently, Secretary of State Raffensberger only recorded the call because a prior call with Lindsey Graham had the same thing, but it went unrecorded. We have multiple attempts by multiple bad actors who are now going to try to cover their tracks. But there has to be, a, or there should be. A commission set up of legislators to investigate this. How many investigations into Benghazi were there? You mean to tell me we're not going to have any into a breach of the Capitol building? It's absolutely going to happen, and people are—they're going to be held accountable ultimately by the law or the voters or both.
1: By Merrick Garland, what do you think of Joe Biden's pick for Attorney General, Merrick
4: Garland? Well, I supported both Judge Garland and Daly Yates. We couldn't have really gone gone wrong on either one. I feel that. Judge Garland uh, you know, is being elevated to a position at or near where he always should have been. What happened to him back at the end of President Obama's final term was atrocious. Another sort of example of bad faith behavior on behalf of the folks who made Trump possible. And, you know, that was Mitch McConnell. And I think we can all agree that a silver lining of this week is the fact that Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff prevailed in, in Georgia
1: a Black and a Jew beating two good old people from the Old South. I loved it. And speaking of our people, we're both proud Jews. Joe Biden has an affection for the Jewish people. I don't know if you watched the ceremony yesterday introducing Merrick Garland and the rest of the justice team, but Merrick Garland's a member of our tribe, and I'm proud of that. Janet Yellen, Secretary of Treasury. Tony Blinken, Secretary of State. Our people are well represented.
4: The Jewish people have a lot to be proud of. We have done a lot of work to fight for democratic values and principles in this country. And this is a success story, an immigrant success story that that everyone should be proud of. And, you know, I'm looking forward to great things out of the Biden administration.
2: Right.
1: You know, the only aid left to Donald Trump, because not all Jewish people are great, Stephen Miller. He looks like he's going to be a Trump lifer. Isn't that disgusting? He's an embarrassment to the Jewish people.
4: It's a Shonda. It, it, it keeps me up at night. The idea that that man is part of our faith—it's awful what he's done. He was the main driver behind, you know, some of the worst impulses on immigration, on LGBTQ rights. I mean, he's just something else, and he did it with a mean spirit, with arrogance. And I, I can't wait for him to be out of the White House.
1: I agree. Joe Biden introduced several other members who had Jamaican heritage and East Indian heritage. And he talked, he looked at Kamala Harris and said, boy, I see a trend here because there are a lot of Jamaican and East Indian people. And I don't know if you heard Joe Biden say, I'm looking for a good Irishman too. You know, I I like the spirit and the humor of Joe Biden. And it, it it kind of bothers me, because I know a lot of Irish people, and you would think they would have affection for Joe Biden, a loyal Roman Catholic of Irish heritage, that they reject him. And to me, to reject Joe Biden as an Irish person in favor of Donald Trump, what is going on?
4: I don't know. I haven't had a, that experience, so can't speak to it. But what I can say is that what Joe Biden has done in terms of valuing diversity, celebrating that. It's something that makes America great. You know, a lot of things do, but one of the things that we need to value and understand the intrinsic value of is diversity of opinions. And that, of course, means political thought, but it also means backgrounds, heritages, faiths, skin tones, and countries of birth. And when you bring that all together, you get the best results because you have the most representation. And so rather than take a narrow view that we need to be afraid of our increasing diversity, we have the opposite. We have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris embracing that. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing to see. And I, I celebrate that. And I, I think the next four years are going to be better off for it.
1: I celebrate the wisdom you imparted to me, explaining why people might follow Donald Trump and these conspiracy theories, because we are living through Tough times with this pandemic with election results that some people don't like. They want comfort and these conspiracy theories are just designed to comfort them, right? The pandemic is made up. Don't worry about it. It's product of CNN and Bill Gates. Listen to Donald Trump, listen to Lynn Wood, listen to Sidney Powell. I mean, they really have these people mesmerized, don't they?
4: It's more comforting to believe that the election was stolen, that there was fraud, than to come to the hard truth that more people disagree with you than agree with you. And that a system that's actually designed to give minority voice a, a real say through the Electoral College, even with that you know, sort of playing field being tilted in your favor, you couldn't pull off the victory and you lost kind of by a lot, that's a really tough reality to accept. And so, rather than accept it, you reject it, and you say there's election fraud. And along comes Donald Trump and these lawyers, and they promise that they're going to prove it. And they keep saying over and over again that they've got evidence, massive evidence, overwhelming evidence. And then they get folks to repeat it over and over again, you know, to the point where, of course, the emperor has clothes. What are you talking about? Only a fool can't see it. And that's here, you know, one of the greatest crimes is the deliberate misleading of people and manipulation of folks who are desperate for these lies but that's what a leader's job is to actually tell the tough truth they have to stand up and say look folks i share your values but we didn't win this one we need to do a better job organizing we need to do a better job persuading folks we need to do a better job with our messaging you know we got out hustled this time they don't want to accept that that requires work and that requires also a scary right, realization that maybe your baked-in advantages aren't going to hold much longer. So, yeah, I think you know, what we've seen, Craig, is that we've seen a rejection of that reality, an embrace of the alternative facts, and this time it led to terribly violent, awful consequences. We have loss of life. We have a loss of the proud tradition of a peaceful transfer of power. That's what the historical note will be, is that we had a, an uninterrupted string minus the Civil War, and then Trump, when he lied to and misled, with the help of senators and members of Congress, including some from Colorado, misled people, expressed their anger, and the consequences were disastrous.
1: Let's focus on those people from Colorado who have enabled this. Some of them are lawyers, some not. Let's start with the most Trumpy person I think she's disappointed that Trump got kicked off Twitter before she did. Lauren Boebert, you're big on Twitter. Her tweets are incendiary. She's bad news for Colorado, not just an embarrassment. She's dangerous.
4: Do you agree? Well, I think that she personifies what we were just talking about on on an extreme individual basis. It's a constant sort of rejection of reality and extreme victimization, always under attack. Her rhetoric is. Constantly, they're not gonna take this from us. Hours before the sacking of the Capitol, she was tweeting 1776. You know, if she hadn't got elected, she would have been outside trying to push her way in. We have folks who are, are willing to go to a place where rather than listen, it's whipping others into a frenzy about having your rights taken from you, about having an election stolen. And so that type of victimization, yeah, is dangerous. We have to be very careful with it because it's a weapon that's even more potent than the Glock she claims to carry.
1: I don't know the woman. I don't know how smart she is. I know she has a good GED degree, but it's possible that she really has been herself subject to this conspiracy theory and actually believes that the election was stolen.
4: Yeah, I do think that folks genuinely believe it you know when you talk to a flat earther they genuinely believe that the earth is flat uh, when you talk to you know other conspiracy theorists they genuinely believe the conspiracy theory the brain is fooling them but you know that doesn't make their belief that genuine so i do believe that she believes it the question is is you know is is there any opening is there any way to to get through to either her or her supporters for them to realize that we're not coming for your rights we're not a bunch of raging communists who want to seize the means of production and subject everyone to gulags okay we want to talk about tax policy we want to have a discussion about public schools and healthcare and you know how do we improve access to education how do we deal with our housing crisis none of those things should be viewed with the inflammatory rhetoric that we see but that's where certain folks need to take us because of you know like i said before it's, it's easier to accept those types of truths than have difficult conversations.
1: I've talked for quite a while to you and everybody who's a lawyer who comes on my show that I think there's a special responsibility for lawyers. I can understand how somebody with a GED might get swept up in these conspiracy theories, but I expect better from Ken Buck, who has kind of rejected that the vote was stolen. I don't know, he joined in that Texas Amicus brief, but Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, these Ivy League-educated former Supreme Court clerks, they don't believe this crap. They know they're selling a bill of goods, don't they?
4: Sure, and I want to be clear on Representative Bobert. I don't think that just because she has a GED that she lacks the intelligence to understand any of it. I think she fully, if she wanted to, could see reality. I think that she's blinded by a psychological need to play the victim and to pretend that rights are being seized and to show everyone loudly and forcefully that her guns won't be taken from her with no one trying to take her guns.
1: Right. And I'm not trying to put down her education, but I'm just trying to make the point that people without experience or education are more prone to falling for this crap.
4: Yes, but even well-educated people can fall for this nonsense. I think what we have from the senators, when you're in a position of leadership, you absolutely know. Josh Hawley made a calculated cold political decision this week, one that will forever stain his reputation. Okay. Certain folks, Ted Cruz made a cold, calculated political decision this week uh, that is entirely consistent with his tenure in the Senate. Those folks absolutely know, and like I said, state bars have to deal with it, the electorate has to deal with it. We can have bipartisan committees set up to investigate and recommend censorship and other things. At the end of the day, this was a horribly dark chapter, and I think the point's been made by by people far more eloquent than I, including I think your next guest, former Speaker Carol, is that there can't be unity without reconciliation. And that takes accountability, and that takes an admission. And we're at the point where we have folks refusing to admit that something wrong happened. I mean, one of my colleagues, Mark Baisley, was tweeting yesterday that this must have been Antifa, and that's the type of denialism that we just can't get stuck on. Because I mean, if we can't <laughs> if we can't agree who was out there, you know, storming the United States Capitol, how are we going to agree on basic facts to get policy done?
1: That's the beauty of all those cameras they have. And thank goodness for tattoos, white nationalist tattoos. We can determine who everybody in the Capitol was, don't you think? And we can see if there was Antifa or people who were hired by the Trump team. I have my suspicions. What do you think should happen to Donald Trump now?
4: Well, that's a really good question. I go back to my big thing is I don't want to see him pardoned. I don't want anything that gives Mike Pence the authority, constitutional or otherwise, to pardon any Trump, you know, Trump himself or any member of his family. That said, if the members of Congress want to impeach him again, so he goes down in history as the only president impeached twice, I fully support that. I think it's a little rich that certain folks are jumping ship now as if they didn't know this was possible. Here we have the only president in history to not commit to a peaceful transfer of power and until when we do an about-face after we fail to have a peaceful transfer of power. And let's make no mistake. We, we, have, we have folks coming out of the Capitol building declaring that it was their intent to seize it. And that a revolution was underway. And that's because the President of the United States told them to go do it. And so when, when you have that type of behavior, there has to be accountability.
1: I've been watching all week thinking that Donald Trump is losing it, whatever he had and that he's going to completely jump the shark. And I want an ending like The Wizard of Oz, where the curtain gets pulled back, everybody sees the little man manipulating things, and it's a happy ending. I thought he did that. I thought he jumped the shark with that call to Brad Raffensperger. I thought he jumped the shark again with this rally and his inciting a riot. At what point, Steve, at what point?
4: Well, a couple of things. I think we need to realize that the denialism that we're dealing with runs deeper than photographs of who was there. I mean, we can absolutely identify who was there, and there will be charges. You know, my understanding is those people will be prosecuted uh, who are identified. But even then, the hardcore believers, the ones who have devoted themselves to him and his movement, and who see themselves inextricably intertwined with his success or failure. In a sense, they live and project vicariously through him. They'll never admit that it wasn't Antifa. They'll always try to sow doubt. There will always be a deeper conspiracy at play. Because to admit at this point that Trump is wrong, is, is <laughs> unless you're Lindsey Graham and think that you can do some South Carolina two-step, is to concede that you've backed something atrocious.
1: Isn't that a lot like o. J? In fact, that was my opening column for the Colorado Sun, where I've been privileged to write many dozens of columns since. But I said, it's beginning to feel a lot like O.J., the initial impeachment. I was a big fan of O.J. Simpson. Heck, he was in the AFL, the Buffalo Bills. I always rooted for him. I liked him at USC. I thought he was a decent man. But when I learned about what he had done, I went off that bandwagon. Isn't it possible or is it way beyond that for Donald Trump?
4: I mean, I I see the parallel that's trying to draw. I I feel it more in terms of, gosh, I hate to say it, but a cult. You have a very charismatic, powerful leader. You have folks who have personally invested themselves, their time, their money, their energy, their personal relationships might have been sacrificed uh, in service to this man and his family. And to then say, oh, I, I backed the wrong the wrong horse at this point it's too dear i mean any brain has cognitive dissonance but that requires uh, that's trauma that's traumatic and so we see seen the ability of you know these types of leaders to get folks to believe absurd things and then commit atrocious acts and that's exactly what we have here somewhere voltaire is looking down and saying told you so
1: and it's time that the colorado gop is reconsidering Trumpism. I can't help but remember that Pat Neville went to the White House. He came back, started being on Trump radio all the time, kind of dominated it. Every host but myself had him on with regularity. And Pat Neville is a Trumper. And now I see other radio hosts who are national committee men. They go back to D.C. all the time, presumably coordinate with the Trump team. How much influence of Team Trump do you see trickling down to Colorado Republicans?
4: That's an excellent question, and the answer is I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they'll have a reckoning at this point and say, "Let's go in a different direction." Given the trends, however, I mean, we Trump didn't come out of nowhere. You can draw, you know, probably a line back to Sarah Palin and then to, you know, other folks in the past who who tried to stir this type of of fervor amongst people. I think you're going to have a lot of people come along, like the Howleys of the world, who are Trump-esque in their willingness to abandon facts and reality and turn things around. I mean, today you saw Senator Howley lashing out at Simon & Schuster for canceling his book deal, claiming that it was infringement of his First Amendment rights. He's an attorney. He knows that's false. But I think you're going to get a batch like that, and then you're going to have some folks like Rep Bobert who tap into that white grievance identity politics, you know, where it's, you know, guns and and religion and folks are coming after us. There's a war on Christmas and I'm going to carry a Glock to fight back against it.
1: Well, let's not be Debbie Downer all the time. Give us an optimistic scenario. Let me start. Donald Trump leaves the throne. So much of his power disappears. More facts come out, including his tax returns people realize what a gripper, what a cheater he is. More and more people fall away. Mitt Romney is ascendant or somebody like Mitt Romney. And the Republican Party regains its balance. America gets over the pandemic and we all live happily ever after. What about you?
4: Yeah. Hey, look, I think we have a lot to be optimistic about right now. Like I said, we just had a tremendous victory in Georgia that means that the United States Senate is now controlled by Democrats. That's a trifecta, certainly not the supermajority that we were looking at nine, ten years ago, but it's uh, it's control. It means that Mitch McConnell is no longer Senate majority. Leader. That's a beautiful thing. That, that is something that should give everyone hope for the future in terms of what bills are actually going to get heard now in the United States Senate, which bills are going to get a fair hearing after they pass the House of Representatives. We should all be excited about that. And I think when we have decent legislation passed, Republicans are gonna wanna jump on board. They're gonna wanna be part of that success. It's their choice. That's the thing about our side. We're always willing to have them come aboard. We're always willing to have their support and their backing when it comes to helping the American people. There's never a moment where we're trying to pass something and they say, hey, can we be a part of this in good faith and where we say no. You know, what we've seen, though, the last however many years, Mitch McConnell, and then it was John Boehner also had a hand in this. The obstruction was tremendous, and that's what Mitch McConnell even did most recently. He was obstructing relief to folks in the midst of a pandemic. Small business owners who are desperately struggling had Mitch McConnell in the way. So we have a lot to be optimistic about and hopeful for. I can't wait to get back to work with my colleagues in a, in a week or so and start They start really pushing the gears of of new bills and legislation. So, yeah, of course, we we have a lot to be excited about. There's always going to be a market, though, for someone to come along and say, you know, nothing you ever do is your fault. These folks are to blame, and I am going to punish them for you. And so it's incumbent upon the rest of us to keep an antenna high and alert. And when that happens, speak out against it early and often. And, you know, stop them, stop them before they metastasize.
1: I feel better now. Power to the people, the people who voted for Johnny Ossoff, Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden. That's the way this country was designed, that ultimately the power rests with the people. And we have to count on the people to do the right thing. I appreciate you coming on again and educating us. Your final words to my audience As we march further into 2021, tell us it's all going to work out okay.
4: It's always darkest before the light. And I think that we've got a light coming our way. Everyone, democracy is only as strong as you fight for it. And that means you fight for it by organizing, talking to neighbors, having difficult conversations, getting the word out and voting. The system's set up so we agree to disagree with each other peacefully. And uh, so long as we remember that, there's nothing we're not going to be able to accomplish.
1: You're a good one, Steve Woodrow. Tell everybody your Twitter handle so they can follow you.
4: Please follow me at Woodrow for Co. And uh, feel free to uh, tell me I've gotten too mouthy. You know, it's my job, too, as an elected official to elevate the conversation. And I am going to try to do a better job at that.
1: You're doing a great job. Happy New Year to you.
4: Happy New Year to you, Craig.
0: Be good.
1: You too. Bye now.
0: All right. Take care. Bye. Dan Levitt, Sandler Training.
5: Hi Dan, Craig sent me.
0: Craig Silverman? That's him. Man, can I tell you a good story about Craig? I'd love it. Once Craig took his dog Tuffy to a singing competition.
7: For what purpose?
0: Well, the dog was gonna be in a dog food commercial.
7: And how did they do?
0: Well, Tuffy did fine. That dog, he could sing.
7: So did they get the job?
0: No, they didn't. There was a problem.
7: And what was that?
0: Well, Tuffy only sang when Craig started singing. And when that happened, everybody around started laughing. You know, Craig's quite a good singer.
1: But Craig's a great talker.
0: You know, he sure is. Now let's talk about how Sandler can help you.
1: Great. My sales team really needs help.
0: You've come to the right place.
1: Sandler training can help you big time if you're a salesman or a sales manager. If you would like to learn more about Tuffy or me or how to make sales, Call my old friend, Dan Levitt, 303-829-2107, 303-829-2107. Tell him, Craig, and Tuffy sent you.
0: Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show.
7: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
1: Gosh, I'm thrilled to welcome back Joe Salazar. He served in the legislature in Colorado, and he's an accomplished attorney. Perfect person to talk to this week with all that has happened in Washington, D.C. Joe Salazar, welcome back to Craig's Lawyers Lounge.
8: Hi, man. How are you doing?
1: Well, I'm upset. I've never seen a situation quite like this. The events of this week are extraordinary. What's your reaction to the new Congress getting sworn in and a couple days later, our national capital getting invaded? Did you ever think you would see something like this?
8: I kind of figured that Trump and his supporters would be up to some kind of shenanigans leading up to January 20th. Did I think that they would engage in a full-blown insurrection on our Capitol building? No, I didn't figure that. (laughs) I, I don't know if anybody had that on their 2021 bingo card, but it happened. And I want to say one thing real quick, though, Craig, is that the two people We should really be praising right now are those two young ladies who whisked away the state certified results in that box. They whisked that away to safety. Had Trump's insurrectionists gotten a hold of that box, we would be having very different conversations this morning.
1: Right, because there's a procedure set forth in law. I used to use it against career criminals. If they had five or six prior convictions to plead it in, I needed certified documents in a special Mm -hmm. form. That's what you have here. Each state certifies its results in a prescribed manner. And if that disappeared, we would have problems. I think the motive was clear. Donald Trump wanted to disrupt a constitutional procedure in Congress which would determine that Joe Biden was the winner. Motive is obvious. The guy solicited people to come to Washington. He organized the rally. He got them all fired up. He said, let's go fight for Trump at the Capitol. And to me, it's a slam dunk case, kind of like Charlie yeah. Manson ordering his crew to the Tate Bianca house. Five people died. He was held accountable. I'm waiting for Donald Trump to be held accountable. What about you?
8: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, his, his language alone, right, leading up to the insurrection of, you know, don't show any weakness. Rudy Giuliani getting up there saying this is trial by combat. Donnie Jr. getting up there and also rallying up the crowd. I mean, absolutely. This was an attempted coup. It should be treated as such. They should be treated as traitors to our country, and they should be held to the full extent of the law. This was a disgusting display that I didn't think that I would see in my lifetime. I don't think anybody ever thought that they'd see it in their lifetime, right? But it happened. It's not too surprising that it happened with these pro-Trump people and Trump's language over the past four years, five years, if you count the election cycle in 2016. But this is really super disgusting. And he should be dragged out of the White House. He should be charged with being a a traitor to our country for uh, attempting a coup in our country and his supporters need to be charged and arrested to the fullest extent of the law, including all those law enforcement officials who who participated in this. Capitol Police, I I agree with our our allied governments who have been reporting that law enforcement was co-opted by Trump and assisted in this, particularly since there's so many videos out there showing Capitol Hill police allowing people to breach the barricades, taking selfies with these folks, Inside the Capitol and allowing things to happen in a way that never would have happened had it been BLM or you know Antifa or any other progressive group. I mean, they should be held to account as well. If
1: anybody wants to know what white privilege is, there was great example: the way they just swarmed the Capitol, were allowed to come in. A lot of officers did fight; one of them lost their life, but too many officers let them come in easy. Perhaps Trump sabotaged the police response. We will find out. But I am just disgusted. I don't need him to be dragged out of the White House. Just handcuff him and walk him out, treat him with dignity. Don't need to bang his head on the door the way he advised. But my God, five people died in a crime that he organized. That's felony murder. You bear the consequences of what people in your conspiracy do on your behalf. And he's brainwashed these people. Have you ever seen anything like it, Joe? These people are believing his bullcrap and a whole bunch of other things. That lady who got shot was a QAnon member. I've never seen a more despicable crime. It's like the Manson family. And they were all held accountable, even though they were brainwashed by Charlie Manson, a charismatic leader. What is the difference?
8: Yeah, it's a dangerous cult, definitely. The people in Congress also should be held accountable too, like Josh Hawley out of Missouri and Ted Cruz out of Texas. Lauren Bobert here in Colorado, along with Doug Lamborn, they should immediately resign for their participation in fomenting this insurrection. And, in, you know, the other, what is it, 100 and some odd members of Congress that decided to move along with this frivolous and ridiculous objection that gave the gravitas to these pro-Trump supporters to engage in this insurrection. Exactly.
1: It's a conspiracy theory. I think about what would I do if I was in a courthouse, for example, that got mobbed like this. But this happened in the chambers of the legislatures. And you served for so many years as a legislator in Colorado. Did you put yourself in their place?
8: Oh, absolutely. I did. In 2013, when we passed the gun safety legislation, we passed a whole package of gun safety legislation, we had the Second Amendment folks circling the Capitol for hours, honking their horns for hours, right? Coming inside the Capitol, the State Patrol had to stop one gentleman who was coming in with a gun because he wanted to come and talk with me. That's what we were facing in 2013. So I can completely understand what those congressional folks were feeling in that moment our state patrol kept those individuals out who wanted to create mayhem they amped up our security inside the capitol and they did it in a manner where they were around but you didn't know that they were around and they were there to protect us right The Capitol Hill police did not do that. In fact, they failed so grossly in this that from what I'm hearing is that three days, and this is in news reports, three days before the event on Tuesday, the National Guard reached out to them and said, hey, look, are you going to need any help here? Capitol Hill police said, no, we're not going to do it. And then when everything started to escalate, Capitol Hill police were still standing down, not accepting any type of help from other law enforcement agencies or the National Guard, right? Our state patrol here in Colorado in 2013, they were prepared. They were going to protect us and they were going to protect our system of democracy. So I could put myself in the situation of those congressional folks because of what we were feeling. But I'll tell you one thing. I had the comfort in knowing that the state patrol had our backs.
1: One of the worst aspects of Trumpism is that a lot of law enforcement officers take Trump's side. He keeps saying, I'm with law and order. I love the cops. But I hope that the good people in law enforcement will see this for what it is. Trump encouraged a crime and a cop got
8: killed. What side are you on, police? Right. And not only that, but these these Trump supporters, how quickly did they turn on law enforcement the night leading up to Tuesday? I mean, they turned their backs on them. They were fighting with them in the streets of D.C., Right. That uh, these these blue lives matter, folks. Right. These people who.
1: Right. You're Michelle Malkin, you're Randy Corcoran who pretend like they care about the police. And then they're behind Trump who organizes mm-hmm. this crap. You can't right. be
8: both ways. <laughs> no, you totally cannot be. I mean, I think I think, look, based on your tone and my tone, maybe I'm wrong. I, I won't speak on your behalf, but I don't think I've ever felt a level of disgust as I'm feeling right now. It's
1: not just disgust. I'm frightened for my family. I'm frightened for my country. I toss and turn at night. And what is the right answer? Is it impeachment? Is it the 25th Amendment? I think the answer is arrest him. Give him a fair trial. If he's going to self-pardon, let's see how that works out. But treat him like any other American would be treated who organized that kind of rally and charge these people up to go to the Capitol and fight for him. You can't do that.
8: You know, the thing I've been putting out on social media these past couple of days are photos of inside the Capitol. And one of the things that I posted was the fact that Jefferson Davis was dancing in hell knowing that Trump supporters did what he couldn't do, which was lift the Confederate flag inside the U.S. Capitol. Are you kidding me? I mean, there were people there flying the Confederate flag. I had heard that someone had a Nazi flag inside. I did see photos of people who had white nationalist flags and neo-Nazi flags inside. They were flying inside our U.S. Capitol. Right. I'm so repulsed by that, right? Uh, And the fact that these people were taking great joy in it, putting themselves out in social media, video recording their own criminal conduct, right? (laughs) Including the West Virginia lawmaker who is now under huge amount of pressure to resign, even by his own Republican colleagues, right? And now he's saying, oh, I was there as part of independent media. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You could hear him in his video talking about storming the Capitol building. I mean, it's, oh man. That's what they call the storm.
1: It's part of this conspiracy theory and Trump got them all worked up. How are we supposed to treat people who still back Donald Trump after this
8: atrocity? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I have friends and family who backed him and who voted for him. I don't even know how to approach them. They've been awfully silent these past few days. And I don't even know how to treat them, man. I mean, seriously.
1: How's this going to end, Joe Salazar? How should it end? What do you think will happen next?
8: Well, what I'm afraid of, I will tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that Biden isn't going to do a damn thing, that he's going to allow these people who engaged in insurrection, who engaged in sedition, who are traitors to our country to pretty much just walk away, right, at the higher levels of government you know, the Donald Trumps and the congressional folks, the senators, right? And they'll just walk away from this, the Ted Cruz's of the world, you know, and and they'll continue spewing their repugnant rhetoric, right? And then their, their underlings, those that stormed the Capitol, they might not see any of that leniency, right? But that Joe Biden, for his call of unity in our country, will allow people who engaged in insurrection to walk free from this i'm hoping that that's not what i see right but from the language that i'm hearing right now is that's what might end up happening and i'm hoping that it doesn't happen that way what i want to see is i want to see impeachment proceedings because he has to be impeached for this right i know that lindsey graham posted just a a few hours ago on twitter that how's this going to help anything you know just let it be it's like dude this dude freaking created an insurrection in our country. You don't let that be, right? So I'm hoping that he's impeached by next week. There may be enough senators to consider convicting him, including Senator Sass out of Nebraska who talked this morning that he would consider it, right? Right. And, and I'm hoping— We
1: are recording this on Friday morning. Ben Sass called Trump's actions wicked.
8: Right. So, you know, I I think that they have to move through those proceedings. And if he tries to pardon himself, let's see how that, that works out. But after the 20th, I think it's no holds barred for prosecutors in New York and other states or federal prosecutors on going after Donald Trump and his family members.
1: I think Joe Biden is taking the right approach. He should not be the guy commanding the arrest of Donald Trump. He just appointed Merrick Garland, and you can bet the new AG, who I hope will be confirmed, I expect he will be, he's going to have the independence to make this call. But one person who's going to influence him is Nancy Pelosi, along with all the other members of the House and Senate who are really the victims here, amongst others, including the American people. So Nancy Pelosi is fired up and ready to go. And I don't think she's going to let Trump get away with this. She's going to push for accountability. That's what America needs after Trump leaves office, accountability for what they did.
8: I agree with you that Joe Biden should not be, and he stayed away from it. He should not be the one who is calling for the 25th Amendment removal. He's not calling for impeachment. He's staying away from it, right? What I'm afraid of is his past statements. When people asked him, about Donald Trump and about prosecuting Donald Trump and about the potential of pardoning Donald Trump, Joe Biden was then talking about how he would consider those things in order to heal the nation, right? Now that was before the insurrection right. a few days ago, okay? So he might he might have a totally different position. But you're right that he shouldn't be talking about it. But afterwards, on the 20th, literally after he is inaugurated, I don't want to hear language coming from Joe Biden saying, oh, you know what? This is over with. This is a bad part of American history. We should just move on. I mean, talk about the greatest of white privilege to allow a white president of the United States in the 21st century to engage in insurrection and then just to say we should just move on. That should not happen.
1: You have to convene a Trump truth force, a Trump truth commission get his tax returns, put it all together. But right now, you have five people dead as a result of a riot that Donald Trump incited. He needs to be held responsible. I don't think he will still be president as of January 20th. I think something is going to intervene. What about you?
8: I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. I don't know what that would be. Uh, maybe it would be a Senate conviction, but that one's up in the air too. We'll just have to see.
1: Wall Street Journal tells him to resign. That's Rupert Murdoch. Man, that guy's got blood on his hands too. What a double game Fox yeah. News has played in Wall Street Journal, etc.
8: And I think that the media, both the mainstream media and the far right media, I think they're complicit in all this. I mean, the woman who was shot in the chest and who died at the Capitol, right? I mean, it's tragic that there was a loss of human life. But as of this morning. Good morning, America was deifying her, talking about what a great lady she was, and you know her grandfather got on there, and you know what a joy she was, so forth and so on, right? But if you actually go on her social media and see the the the, the things that she was spewing, I mean, it's astounding, it's astounding, and it's scary that she was spewing this hatred for America. Well, she would she would just consider it, you know, that she was a patriot, right? But that she was spewing this hatred. And she went out there to the Capitol to engage in this insurrection. And now she's being deified by the press, right? That would not happen with a black, brown man or woman. They would be looking at criminal records. They would be, you know, looking to tear down that human being for engaging in the insurrection. But because she's a white female, Good Morning America is deifying her. And that's the other thing that I find utterly disgusting with this country is that when you have people engaging in this kind of behavior in our nation's capital, you hold them to account. You don't try to sit there and flower them up and perfume them up afterwards. You hold them to account. Right. She
1: had that conspiracy theory in her head. She's an adult. She needed to reject it, but it's a powerful force. Honestly, Joe Salazar, the only book that I believe Donald Trump ever read, I doubt he read his own books. Somebody else wrote them. But he had the collected works of Adolf Hitler at his bedside, according to his first wife, Ivana. And he acknowledged that he got the book. Mm -hmm. This is professional. Donald Trump and some other people, they have some mind-melding techniques that they are utilizing. And yes, she's culpable. She's dead. She paid a heavy price. But my gosh, the people who planted those thoughts in her head. They are the most culpable, just like Charlie Manson was the most culpable member of the Manson family, even if he didn't actually invade the House on his own.
8: Truly, truly. Something that you and I had discussed, maybe it was a month ago when last I was on, something that you and I had discussed was the fact that it was over 70 million people who voted for Donald Trump. And that's, that's the concern that we have in our country, right, is that these individuals who are willing to buy into his BS... And we have to have a serious discussion about our education system and critical thinking skills. There are people out there who just want to be led by the nose and led by their racism and hatred, and they find a home in Donald Trump that way.
1: That's right. But let me ask you, because I don't understand why people follow this. Is there a religious component to it?
8: Oh, absolutely. I think the conservative Christian Right. I think they're just as culpable for everything that has happened, too. I mean, calling this guy the freaking second coming, right? When Donald Trump was in front of the cameras and, you know, talked about being the chosen one, he points up to the sky, right? They fed right into that. And religious people, the, the religious leaders, didn't decry that at all, right? Instead, they accepted this false prophet and promoted this false prophet in their congregations, which fomented the hatred and the insurrection that we saw these past couple of days. And, and they're just as much at fault for this too by using religion to try to further their hateful means.
1: I don't want to say they're just as culpable because nobody's more culpable than Donald Trump. And I bet mm-hmm. he got advice on how to do this from Roger Stone. They talk mm-hmm. late at night, Roger Stone is self-confessed, dirty trickster, I spoke to him. He was proud of it. Roy Cohn, Donald Trump's mentor, they had a plan. And I think they knew what was going to go down at the Capitol. And they wanted it. Donald Trump is reported to have watched it and was enthused about it, did nothing to call it off until it was essentially over. Man, the culpability is just obvious. If we let him get away with this, it's just like June 1 when he and Bill Barr, who now condemns Trump, they bum-rushed that peaceful crowd on property. They had a right to be in Lafayette Park. He went over to St. Mm-hmm. Anne's Church, held that Bible upside down. That turned on a lot of conservative Christians, I guess. But my gosh, it, it should have it <laughs> been repulsive to all good
8: people. Man, you know, you know who else turns Christian relics upside down? the devil, right? I mean, seriously, to hold the Bible upside down in front of a church, that should have been a clue to Christians across the world, oh, maybe maybe we should step away from this guy.
1: (laughs) And I think he held it up that way deliberately. Maybe it was a goof up on his part. You never can tell, but we have a madman in charge of America. I really appreciate you coming on, Joe. You were a legislator for so long. I knew you could relate. Your comments are valuable and your last thoughts for my audience during this incredible period of American history.
8: Yeah. So I think that in terms of like moving forward, uh, picking up the pieces from this one are going to be really super difficult for us. But we've been saying it, you know, the, the black and brown communities have been saying it for so, so long. We need to have this conversation about racism in America. We need to have it. It was fully exposed these past couple of days, well, this past four years, fully exposed to the world what white supremacy means to America. And we need to have this conversation. Otherwise, this country is just not gonna get back on its feet and unite in a manner that will allow us to be a productive country again. And that's that's pretty much my final word.
1: Thank you, Joe Salazar, really appreciate it. Be well. Thank you. Hey, will you just do this for me? Go to my website at thecraigsilvermanshow.com. Scroll down and look at that picture of my pal, Dan Levitt. He's a professional sales trainer and coach with Sandler Training. Now, Sandler has been doing this for many decades with great success. If you are in the sales business then you need some training. Maybe you have already had it. God bless you. But if you feel like you are falling short, that you could learn some skills that could increase your income, Sandler knows what to do, and my friend Dan levitt knows as well. Look at his face on my website and tell me if that little smile on his face does not make you want to smile back. I do and I don't smile all the time, but Dan Levitt is fun to talk to and he will give you a great deal if you say, Craig sent me. Call Dan Levitt. First look at his picture, smile back. 303-829-2107. 303-829-2107 for the best possible deal. Tell Dan, Craig sent me. Thank you. law llc.com
0: now back to the Craig Silverman show
1: it is a privilege to have the opportunity to have you listen to me and my guests at this important historic time I think about these things a lot so do my guests thank you Joe Salazar Steve Woodrow Terrence Carroll Mike troubadour Dave Gunders and Corey Hutchins Keep things sane and smart down at Colorado College. May the world please get through this. Sorry for any part I had in electing Donald Trump. Let's move on to better times. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, nine to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.